After all this, you still... I still want that gas, yes. And you had better deliver. Uh, before we start, would you mind uh, zooming in uh, just slightly? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That good? Go. Yeah, perfect. Perfect, perfect. Okay. All right. You know, I don't really mind that we don't do these, like, the minute something occurs, I'm starting to realize, because one, you need, like, a 48 to, like, 72-hour period to just, like, digest what the fuck happened. Yeah. And also, like, it just, like, you know, the thing will happen, and you gotta have your immediate reaction to it. Um, I'm just starting to notice, like, with some of this shit, like, the reaction ends up being more important than predicting the consequences, so. Yeah. Who's to say? I don't know. But welcome back uh, to the Greenhouse, dear listeners. We're back here for another Current Affairs episode. I, I don't know if Current Affairs is going to be the proper name for the segment at this point. What do you think, Josh? We're in more of like a political it, commentary, political whatever sort of feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a, a generalized, you know, political affairs. Uh, I mean, they're all current. I mean, but I think we've, we're learning that, you know, it's, you know, these things have, you know, lasting consequences that are more than just, you know, in that temporal, precise moment when they actually occur. Yeah, I'd say we've graduated from the uh, from the news desk to the uh, to the columnist bureau, maybe. Who's to say? Yeah, though, uh, you know, our, our this graduation does mean that we will not be hosting a well, we unfortunately will not be hosting a Trump town hall. But, you know, yeah. small sacrifice. <sighs> I don't. I don't know what's worse, hosting it or setting it up. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's all one of the same. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much at that point. Okay, so so what we're referencing here is like the there were rules set in place for like the most recent Trump Town Hall, right? And it was pretty much like all the audience in there was not even reacting genu- genuinely. I highly doubt the audience in any televised town hall is anything other than handpicked to some extent. But right. I mean, in this case, might it was... be, yeah, to some extent, these might be genuine reactions, but it's just that you've intentionally like selected sycophants to, uh, you know, be seated. Yeah. And what, which network was that one through? Was that CNN. Through CNN? See, I... I can't help but think that, like, had it not been for. CNN's uncritical airing of Trump as is, you know, he wouldn't have gotten as much free press as he did. And of course, there's the whole Pied Piper strategy involved in that, but I don't know. Yeah, Very I mean, I, don't, I, I never saw it as, you know, that first time as a Pied Piper strategy. It was just, you know, I, and I think that we're seeing again, it's just this continuance of like this for profit news, you know, effort. And it's, you know, it's frustrating and it's, it has, you know, broader consequences just uh, more generally. And uh, CNN is just one facet of this. Yeah. I think, I think the problem is, is that once again, Trump indeed does sell, but to what sicko audience? (laughs) Yeah. All right. I, I have a bit of a banter section set up here for us. We're just going to, I mean, when I was writing this, okay, for the for the listeners' credit, I should let you know that 
this outline has been in the works for like what I can say has been a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And there's been shit popping up like every day where and just when I think I got it ready and I'm sending it to Josh for review. Um <laughs> a new thing will come up and I'm like I gotta add that. So I initially started this with what the hell is going on? What's the vibe? Maybe we're just gonna get into that more broadly. So the first thing I got is Musk is planning to step down as Twitter CEO. Yeah, good riddance. Um, you know, I, I, whether or not, I mean, I can't think he did announce his like handpicked successor. Um, I can't really tell you anything about her other than she is, uh, what's her name? Um, uh, Linda Yakar, uh, Yakarino, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, mm. former head of NBC Universal, um, head of advertising at least. Um, Weird that you would, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it's like, you know, kind of ironic that he's hiring a head of advertising to uh, spearhead a platform that's advertising has been nuked to the ground um, of his own volition, largely. So maybe this is trying to stitch together the pieces. I don't know. Um, Of course, you know, before he stepped down, he did make this this bold choice to uh, make it the platform. Uh, the medium of choice for one Tucker Carlson, who was very uh, interesting, just recently fired by uh, Fox News. That was kind of this big story, uh, and now you know, I think about two weeks later, you know, he's going to be on Twitter, whatever that means exactly. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think the the it, beyond just the weird vibes of elon's twitter is you know this kind of just never-ending struggle to turn it into something that it isn't like there was there's been announced plans to like add a dating service um <laughs> which i mean i i guess to be fair i mean you get a, a real unbridled look into some of these people that you know you, you don't necessarily <laughs> on like you know traditional dating apps so i mean that could be interesting i don't know but uh it's still a little weird. It's not something that people were, you know, on that site for. Um, and and just other weird things like the attempts to like just kind of fundamentally change the nature of the platform. That you know, be beyond just his general strategy of disruption and you know, bringing back people who uh, you know are less than savory types, if uh, you know, to put it lightly. Yeah, I think that's been a spot-on analysis of Elon's tenure as the CEO of Twitter. I definitely, you know, I read it more broadly as this was Musk doing yet another pump-and-dump scheme. I know it's inflammatory to say that without a basis, but it was, I mean, it should not shock anybody that Musk's business strategy at this point is do whatever it takes to stay liquid and then cash out for your next venture. And I'm sure whoever this new CEO is uh, is going to have a big mess to clean up after all this. I don't sure. know, though, what the calculus is on the you know supposed implosion of Twitter. Has Musk done enough damage to nuke the platform and render it unusable? Who's to say? You know, I think a lot of us are all saying something to the equivalent of, like, I'm going down with the ship, but... What exactly would render the ship unusable? That's a different metric from person to person. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he he's definitely exploring what what would make it unusable, <laughs> but I don't think he's he's quite cracked the code yet. I mean, there's just there's just sort of that law of inertia behind um, the website, right? That it's it's not quite like you know. I mean, Facebook is. I mean, it's not dead, obviously, but it's it's considerably more dead than it once was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that that was a pretty gradual shift, and it was really, I mean, it it, it took some pretty serious scandals to uh, sort of uh, reinvent the wheel there. Where um, and now it is just kind of like a thing where people have accounts and don't really check them uh, or update them or contribute to them or whatever. You know, it just kind of became this sort of you know ad infested boomer crowd conspiracy shithole um yeah <laughs> where you know is you know at least, you know at least twitter is you know down on the ads a bit but uh <laughs> definitely uh fits some of those other categories a bit um but yeah i mean i i think that you know in general though it's just there's too many because and you know i kind of you know Admittedly, part of my uh, dissertation is in fact tied to uh, Twitter a little bit, um, and you know, there's just a lot of incentive for I think folks who are part of um, you know that that sphere that need to um, you know they, they need some type of platform to engage right. with, right? Like they, you know, a lot of these journalists and politicos, right? They need some t- version of twitter i mean it's it's not going to be mastodon i mean that's that's rather apparent if you just look at the way that site's structured um whether some other you know whether the free market produces some alternative um you know it remains to be seen but I, I don't see it happening anytime soon yeah i don't i'm not i can see how blue sky is kind of a uh a safe refuge for certain accounts right now i don't blame people for wanting to make the migration but it is kind of sus that the company that brought us uh, both LinkedIn and Nextdoor is producing a Twitter <laughs> clone. What was Nextdoor? Nextdoor. Okay, so Nextdoor is like uh, all, all all these people who are complaining about crime waves in the city are all the people on Nextdoor. It's basically a way for you to like report suspicious activity in an on like the like Yik Yak, except like for people who are hyper anxious about living in a city, basically. Okay, I, and I assume it's probably also like if you're in like Texas where they have that like abortion bounty thing. I assume it's probably used for that too. It's 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 it's, it's, it's like if if snitching was your preferred form of posting, that that's what you would do on next on next door. God, could you could you imagine just like, oh man. I mean, literally, like I've never used it, but I can already imagine that half the post like I smelled weed in the park, like you know that kind of shit. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like it could have been a skunk, you know. <laughs> really could have been. Um, uh, usually, you know. Usually, you know. Usually, just just mind your business. <laughs> <laughs> People talk about how do you stay safe? You mind your business. That's how you get around it. Oh yeah. gosh. Um. Yeah. So will will Twitter implode? Uh, the jury's still out. I still don't know like what the future is. It's like. Is the safe option? How about you? Ju- we all just quit social media. Or is the safe option? Let's stick to another site. I don't know because the contradictions of social media are something we keep talking about. I think we get better at talking about it, but it's Pandora's box at this point. I think yeah. you know we open it. You can't you can't close it back. Um, 
and I think so much of it, right? I mean, like the like as weird as like you know the, we've taught you know there's the consequences that social media has with like just the way it's kind of like depersonalized things. Yet at the same time, it's also like for a lot of people, frankly, like the only real social outlet that they have. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like you know it's as much as it's kind of you know it's like a two pronged uh you know there's like a two pronged problem there that are uh you know kind of contradictory in a lot of ways yeah it's a it's a massive sprawling contradiction that one avenue alone cannot solve yeah uh on on the subjects of the contradictions in technology too uh chat gpt uh even though it is automated relies heavily on uh, low-paid contract data entry workers in India to label uh, the data to use it. Well, you know, thanks for you know finally like you know reveal oh, like you know flipping up the hood and revealing that you were behind this. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, I mean, it is kind of amusing that like, um, and it's interesting too because I wonder if it like it it does kind of explain why ChatGPT is kind of good in the ways that it is good right when it comes to just like writing up certain types of documents that are like kind of more of what you would see from you know frankly tech support industry types and stuff like that like yeah it's like yeah no wonder it's it's so effective at that is it's like it's you know a lot of it's done off the work of people who do this for a living yeah, yeah, like these tools are only as good as the people supporting them basically and um it makes it make it sure does make a feller wonder, right? Like why there's been so much uh buzz created about the capability of AI um when in reality, you know, it's I don't know. I don't want to say we're in the midst of a new Theranos where like there's this technology being sold that cannot really come into uh existence the way it's being promised but ai is it's a fundamentally limited thing of course technology has capability but for me personally it's like what is it serving and then also what can it realistically do right i don't think ai first of all people who like believe the roko's basilisk thing are kind of just like telling scary stories to themselves while like (laughs) while shouting bloody mary in the mirror and getting scared right but at the same time it's like AI is not, it serves a need that certain um, people in finance and business may want, which is to, you know, tighten uh, and discipline labor. But fundamentally, I don't think it's going to fulfill those goals uh, safely or without risk. It can really only, (sighs) really, the only thing automation can do is substitute repeatable tasks it can't really do things from scratch and that's i'm sorry like i don't i don't think a robot has a sense of imagination not to rehash the plot of irobot but here we are (laughs) yeah i mean and like i mean frankly you know we're in kind of this you know boy who cried wolf scenario with ai right we've always been like you know however many years away from you know the the singularity or you know ai sort of you know fully taking over right i mean it's it's always it's been this perpetual cycle of oh it's about to you know just completely crush the labor market and whatnot and it's it's kind of weird when you see like some of these libertarian types talk about it where like i mean i i saw it particularly in reference to discussions about um 
Social Security and retirement, because that debate's kind of like, you know, reawoken more recently um, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, just, you know, do we have, you know, is the system sustainable and whatnot? And, you know, it is if we just make, you know, a few adjustments. But of course, um, and, you know, preferably adjustments that are not at the expense of labor. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Which, is what they're, which is what they're primarily, you know, trying to rationalize or, you know, trying to argue for the abolishment of it entirely. But they're like talking about, like, you know, I've seen some of them say, like, well, you know, if all these jobs are taken over by AI, then like, you know, they're not going to be able to pay into like Social Security. It's like, well, like, is there retirement if you can't have a job? Because <laughs> AI has done all that. Like, it's it, these weird thought experiments that I just. I mean, they're they're moderately interesting, but overall, I think they're just like more frustrating to engage with than like is really, you know, worthwhile. You're right in that sense, and also like the nature of these thought experiments and the people who participate in them tend to reveal their own assumptions and uh, priors about what they think human life is intended for, and. Sure. That's why it's 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 frustrating, or like you know, you look at these. Well, they're like all designed to like take you to the same conclusion they have already. E- exactly, to. exactly. Whereas you know, like this idea that a select few people get to be these kind of like captains and titans of industry who earn this wealth and can you know self-aggrandize while everyone else is kind of a peon to that, you know. Or like the, yeah. the effective altruism, whatever, whatever they want to wrap up um, Ayn Rand objectivism behind, because mm-hmm. that's what this is at the end of the day. There's nothing, there's there's no fucking, <laughs> there's nothing new to this shit. Even objectivism was just them dressing up fundamental greed and selfishness. Okay, there's there's no. Yeah. It's just trying to come up with. I mean, and I think that's kind of just an issue with like, you know, some of these philosophically minded types, right? Whereas they're just trying to create some type of mechanism that justifies, you know, or, you know, reorients the so-called morality of their own beliefs to make it seem like, you know, they're the good guys. Pretty much, pretty much. And it's it's all like, I don't know, to, to get as reductive as I tend to do, this is the bourgeois ideology at work, pretty much. Yeah. So, ChatGPT, once again, uh, I don't buy the AI hype. Um, AI is one of those things where, again, I'm not anti-technology per se, but the question is always, who does this technology serve? And, you know, could it be brought under control if people could make those decisions collectively? That's the rubric I apply to any of this, really. Yeah, and, and I think with our structure, I mean, in some ways, like automation, right? I mean, the, there's there's sort of a pro-labor argument behind it, right? Which is that it, you know, reduces the need for it and that we can, you know, support, you know, like it, it reduces, you know, maybe the time needed for actual manual labor, right? Maybe we get like a, a four-day work week or something of that nature. Right, right. It's never like the lens that it's really being discussed in like mainstream American politics, right? It's always like, oh, how can we like just unemploy a bunch of people basically one exactly exactly it's not like you know workers council is like okay we'll use robots to do the most dangerous jobs and then we can assign labor to other other sectors it's never it's never along those lines exactly oh gosh so 
moving moving away from tech uh, for a minute, let's maybe get to um, a segment we've missed um, that has come back to our attention very recently. We're back on Santos Watch. Yeah, and uh, we'll see if we uh, really, you know, I mean, I imagine we'll return to it a couple more times. But uh, this could be the, we could be approaching the season finale, uh, or maybe even the series finale of Santos Watch. Um, so uh, he, it's ironically, right after sponsoring this bill to crack down on COVID unemployment fraud, George Santos was arrested for, um, among other things, embezzling campaign funds, um, all this other fun stuff that, uh, you know, is it's kind of extraordinary just the the level of immorality of this individual. But among other things, was you know, COVID unemployment fraud. Uh, despite the fact that he was making, um, I think was it one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, still successfully filed for unemployment um, through the uh, you know the kind of the pandemic um, relief uh, packages and whatnot. But, you know, he still voted for the bill that he sponsored after being arrested. He pay- he posted his, uh, was it a 500000 in bail? Um, yeah. You know, Where do you get that money from? Dear God. Yeah, from the unemployment money. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then to top it off, weren't there also charges of, like, embezzling campaign funds to buy designer yeah, I- goods? There's there's so much like there I think there was like 13 charges a lot of it's just you know a, a decent number of campaign uh, finance vi- violations there's the embezzlement of those funds for various reasons um, yeah I mean it's we you know if there was any question that this guy had any like decency or principles of any sort right I mean those I one they should have been gone out the window a long time ago but. There's, there's no defending him now. No, there, there's absolutely none, and it's, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. Like we called him a scammer from day one, but this is fascinating, right? He's, he's embezzling this money to like, uh, to get designer goods, and every time we've seen him in public, he's wearing the same suit, with the same like blue sweater and everything, like a cartoon character almost with some of this shit. And then like again, like the court appearance, all of this. I I don't know, was he just trying to like there's no like iconic scammers, like like there's no Barry mm-hmm. Lindens anymore. Was he just trying to bring that back? I don't know. I mean, this is I mean, this is really like the old school like kind of campaign finance like violations so that we just don't really see all that often anymore. Yeah, um, in part because like I mean, there's just no real need for it, right? Like I mean, they've got money, you know, up their ass, coming out their ass. Like they don't need, you know, necessarily embezzle campaign funds for. You could get Harlan Crow to buy it for you. Or whatever. Yeah, like yeah, I mean, you could just get you know a, a a nice donor to just gift you this stuff. Um, yeah, it, it's so it's you know you don't see this that often, but you know here. Here's like kind of a, a classical case of it, you know, pretty clear cut and dry. I mean, I guess we'll see the evidence, you know, as it kind of emerges through the courts and whatnot. But uh, yeah, I mean, I uh, <laughs> I expect he'll be going uh, down with the ship. Um, is this embarrassing for the people who came out? You know, all the Republicans who you know kind of you know put their you know hitch their cart uh, to his horse uh, metaphorically and just said like this is our guy. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, but I mean, 
they don't really have a sense of shame, so it doesn't necessarily matter that much. And this is also going on, like, at a... Trump's, like, um... Hearing with... I I forget the victim's name in this case. She was uh, suing him for defamation after um, opening up about being sexually assaulted by him. And I think one, or at least there were grounds found to charge him with defamation. So I, I don't know what's going on at the New York Attorney General's office, but they they said, okay, if the National Party is doing nothing, we'll we'll get started. If the Democrats yeah. aren't doing anything, let's get started. Very yeah. interesting stuff. Kind of makes you, again, it makes you wonder who's, because some of the, all of this is obscured, right? Like, it, it mm-hmm. makes you wonder, like, what factions in the Democratic Party as a whole uh, are in charge, um, act independently, act in concert, not, not to get um, tinfoil hat about it, right? This is just me, like, more so trying to read the tea leaves or just, like, stab at something. But, you know, this is, this is a thing where, like, people in the judiciary branch do act ideologically and, in this case can advance something where the legislative members exactly have failed to some extent. Yeah. Um, we'd also be remiss not to just be touch briefly on this. There was the uh, mass shooting at a Texas mall, I want to say last week. Um, and that was something that sparked just 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 a just a very interesting episode of trying to trigger misunderstanding and uh conflate some very very weird items of misinformation right there's this narrative going around about well how how exactly is this um the shooter you know how is it, how are they a white supremacist and latin at the same time and all I, all I can really say is you know once once again people are kind of late to the party on one understanding the threat of fascism in the American context and yeah. also in understanding how it's played out, right? So specifically, you know, people are very late people have been very, very late to notice. Um and I'm not saying I'm I'm not how do I put this? There has been a recent trend of minority support for Trump, as well as just in the wake of people getting more online and being radicalized to the right online, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it, it affects everybody. Yeah. And I've, it, I've yet to see like a great theory about why um, a lot of minority folks are uh, find Trump appealing. Um, like I've seen like, you know, kind of just the weird internet, like crackpot takes. Um, I, I, I think, you know, maybe it's to the, to an extent, I think the shooting might highlight you know one of the mechanisms, which is kind of like these you know intellectual dark web folks um, that are sort of you know kind of moonlighting as you know sort of pseudo intellectuals, right. but they're you know in reality they're just trying to like you know kind of create this sort of right wing gateway, right? I mean, in, the, in particular in this case, right? You know, the and you, you've seen a lot of pushback from this individual, anyways. Was that you know the, 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 this shooter seemed to be particularly inspired by like Tim Pool? Um. Yep. And and I don't. I I did see a clip from Tim Pool show after like because originally he like kind of dismissed this as like a psyop. Like there's no like again like you know if first of uh, all not even that, the way you use the word you don't even use the word psyop that way. So very exactly. Funny from him. 
but uh you know i mean like from these these same folks like tim pool right who like when there was that uh trans individual who was a shooter i can't remember where that was but that was a few weeks ago right Kentucky, we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we're like immediately it's just like you know ah this this proves all our validations we trust this at, at face value here it's like you know we, we they'll make up a million excuses to distance themselves from this individual but then when it's like fairly clear that unambiguously that, that this was that individual he basically um i saw this clip on a show where he was you know basically just said like he didn't care that like he and basically described the exact rationale that the shooter had which was the you know kind of this idea of you know multiculturalism is sort of the source for it where like you know people who don't like each other have to live together and whatnot so of course it's the natural outcome which is kind of just insane um that like you know you are kind of just like openly you know wholeheartedly sort of embracing that um in terms of um you know, like, it's like, you know, you you can't, like, distance yourself from, like, the actions of this ideology, yet at the same time sort of, like, perfectly wrap up in a bow and explain, like, yeah, this is why this happens, and not really critically assess, like, you know, that worldview. You're essentially validating that worldview. You're not really saying that the action, like, I mean, because, I mean, frankly, when you're arguing that, like, you know, for the fact that, like, oh, there's gonna be, like, an imminent civil war or whatnot, like, these shootings and not to like and i certainly am not condoning them right but they come across as you know like well not only are they rational they're necessary right like you know why why wait till like you yourself are victimized um if you can have that right and we're increasingly In seeing that mindset, push yeah, yeah, yeah. we're increasingly seeing that push from the right wing i mean i saw one thing on um twitter from someone who's um i can't i think it might have been an elected official somewhere um uh, where it was basically just that like you know everyone you you just have to consider everyone as as your potential future killer it's like if you have that mindset like how do you like function you don't you you succumb to the death drive and that's we've we've said this before on on the program that like that is the end state of right wing ideology as a whole that is the fascist project you know taken to its natural end yeah. of it is the death drive. It is everyone against me, and I should be the last one standing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's again, it's fundamentally reprehensible, and it's the kind of thing that you you can be you can be indoctrinated into it, regardless of who you are, right? Like, yes, yeah. it, it is white supremacist in its nature, but. That's not to say that the project of white supremacy hasn't recruited other people to assist in it before, right? Mm-hmm. And specifically in the context of this shooting, I want to just stress this. It's very interesting you brought up Tim Pool's defense because he obscured a lot of things in that yeah. uh, explanation. So not not to, you know, come back to my pet explanation of the Miami industrial complex. <laughs> But once again, they they have shown their hand in this uh, event, where a bunch of the people, you know, promulgating that point of how could a Latin shooter be a white supremacist? Well, for starters, he's hanging around with uh, these same pe- these same people who are part of that Miami industrial complex of you know anti-Cuba propaganda and all the right wing. Uh, support networks that go into that and fundamentally you know even if there isn't a one-to-one connection they do vote for the Republican party they do support those policies 
that's the worldview they have. And specifically in his, you know, this guy's like uh, motifs in pictures of him. He's, I mean, he's in a picture with like one of these Miami media figures, right? And he's wearing a mm. shirt that says "Right Wing Death Squad." Jeez, he, it's 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 very fucking obvious. We're talking School of the Americas, CIA backed death squads. I'm not, I'm not yeah. really trying to, you know, be egregious with this, but what once again, like. <laughs> There's this project has recruited people who don't fit the imperial core to carry out its objectives abroad and to further the the domestic project at home. Um, you get someone who fits the mass shooter profile to believe that shit, and they'll replicate it. I don't see what's uh, I don't see what's controversial in that, unless, like Tim Pool, you have a vested interest in obscuring that. Exactly right. I mean, and I think that's kind of you know. I mean, uh, well, you know, reduce. I mean, not that I think that you know, criminal liability would be particularly realistic. I mean, it should be, but you know, it's it's not. Um, I mean, but really, I mean, like everything that you just described too. It's it's sort of like the inverse of like you know, I'm not racist. I have a black friend, right? It's yeah. like, you know, it's 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 the flip side of that, right? Well, it's, well, if your black friend thinks the same things, or your you know Latino friend, or you know whatever. Um, it, it 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 doesn't really you know it, it's not a great defense um not that it ever was anyways but you know it, it really is sort of the flip side of that in a lot of ways yeah and i think like some one of my mutuals was saying something that really like highlighted the problem which is that the liberal framework for identity that we have or that we tend to use um cannot necessarily account for some of these contradictions that's where you know at least in a in a materialist basis or at least in like a marxist context you have the ability to then be like no it takes people working in solidarity to combat right. uh regressive behaviors and regressive movements but that's a separate can of worms i don't think we're going to open today but well really all i'm mm -hmm. going to say is it's the same people being late to the party on noticing the connections between the right wing and fascistic tendencies on knowing the history of how these things came to be of seeing who exactly the, the, can fit the profile and how you know fundamentally the fascist project is this one it's it's pyramid i don't know pyramidal pyramid like i don't know how to say this where they'll start with the widest like birth of people who agree with them and as the project expands it gets narrower and narrower and narrower yeah. Until there's only one man standing. That's the death drive of it as a whole. Well, yeah, and you have like this, I mean, same thing with like the libs of TikTok too, I think was also an inspiration for this uh, individual as oh, well. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, yeah. she's like, well, how can you be like, you know, a Nazi when you're a Jew? And it's like, well, there were in fact, you know, Jews who supported the Nazi party. And yeah, you, historically. Guys ever, you guys ever hear of this word called a collaborator? Yeah, it's like, you know, it's you, you gotta start, you know, with that, as you said, that broad group before you can start really, you know, narrowing in, right? Yeah, and I think identifying, you know, traitors to liberation is, is, is a part of liberationary struggle. It's not, it can be hard to pick these things apart, um, yeah. but the thing about doing the hard thing is it gets easier the more you do it. Exactly.
Now, speaking on the subject of things that are hard, um, I think we're fully entering Democalypse 2024 territory. Yeah. Um, our current affairs segments are likely going to include more political tea reading than less. Um, and that's, that's, again, that's the expertise we offer to you here at the Greenhouse. But presidential election season, it's beginning in earnest. Um, we're not exactly the first people to cover what we're going through today. We're coming to it after the dust has settled a little bit. We've given it some time to ruminate. Um, and maybe we're going to try to think more big picture about what is this 2024 race going to look like? What's the vibe? Um, it's, it's still very early to predict some of this, but I think that's the lens we're going to be looking at this with, right? Yeah, I think so, right? And it's, you know, there's, you know, probably, you know, as time goes on, you know, talk a little bit more about strategy and whatnot. Here, it's a little too early, especially on, um, I guess, on both sides. But yeah, I mean, it's there, we've we've seen the field emerge. Yeah, so let's start with the Democrats this time. So Joe Biden has declared that he's running again. Uh, I got the text before I found anything else out, and I'm like, "Why is Joe texting me?" <laughs> like my phone gave, the, gave me the thing where it's like, "Contacts, maybe Joe. Do you want to add them?" I'm like, "What? No." Why? Well, you know, he needs he needs your money again, Audie. You were instrumental to the first campaign. He needs, I'm, he needs I'm, more. I'm telling you, the biggest mistake the Bernie campaign made was using AgBlue and then selling that information after the campaign. That's the <sighs> right. biggest mistake. Yeah. Oh God. But yes, uh, Joe Biden has declared again. I think he was, was he the first to declare this time around or did no, RFK Jr.? Uh, no, we had uh, Marianne Williamson, I believe, was the very first to declare. Okay. Um, okay. Then we had Joe um, and then um, RFK. I, I, I can't remember if RFK Jr. was before or after him. Oh, I guess he was right before. Uh, yeah, right there. It's all right there in the announcement. So, Marion Williams announced March 4th, RFK Jr. April 19th, and then Joe Biden April 25th. So, actually, not that long ago. Damn, um, RFK gave us a day before 420 before declaring. That's nice of him. You know, he he kind of, you know, missed out on just, you know, he could have waited a day. He could have. <laughs> Maybe so, he didn't want to come across as entirely unserious. We got, we got, we got to unpack RFK Jr. That's that's a that's a whole hornet's nest. But that, yeah, only the three have declared so far. I don't think anyone else. Well, so uh, I mean, apparently Joe Exotic has declared, um, <laughs> but he's not a uh, he fails to qual- meet uh, other criteria to be considered a significant candidate. Right. Like I don't know. Um, if he, is he going to get on the ballot in all fifty, or is it? I don't know. I, I have no idea, but I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, the Tiger King. It's like he's probably gonna drop before you know the first primary, um, if I had to guess. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've got these three. Uh, you know, you can't really make the whole case. Um, that you know, Joe's like you know this ancient geriatric when the youngest person in this field is sixty nine years old. Um, so you know, they're all pretty ancient. I mean, Joe's obviously the most ancient of them, but. Yeah, I mean, this is our, uh, you know, your your pickings. Um, there's, I think, there's some, you know, kind of just the way the party's handling things so far. I think I'm not a huge fan of the fact that you know they're 
it's very clear, right, that, you know, Joe's the incumbent. He's going to be the guy. And, I mean, you could tell that just from the list of names that, like, you know, there's really not much of a contest there anyways. But, you know, the fact that the party is sort of kind of enfranchised that by, you know, sort of at least so far saying there's not going to be debates or anything like that, I think is it kind of problematic from like an optics standpoint. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know how useful those debates are. Right. But it's like, you know, the, the democratic party, when it comes to its primaries, right. I mean, you have the super delegates, which yeah, they're not like that significant to the process and even less so now, but you have like all of these mechanisms of these very anti-democratic mechanisms, right. That, you know, just the, I, the, the optics of them are bad. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that the party for for as insistent as like the mainstream group of that party is that like, you know, optics are like kind of all that matters, like, you know, policy is, you know, whatever optics is it. It's very bizarre that like the, that same faction is like also like intrinsically, you know, maintaining these very odd apertures of their democ- of their you know presidential primaries. No, that's 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 spot on, right? And I think the way that's always spun out is then, well, these mechanisms need to exist because insert establishment pick here is the only viable option to defeat the Republicans in a general election. Well, it, you know, it wouldn't that even that argument doesn't really carry that much weight it, because it, it's it, like it doesn't, but they repeat it ad nauseum, is what I mean. Yeah, because, but I mean, even saying like you know, like even like if we just buy right that like okay, like the establishment pick is the only viable candidate. Has there ever been a scenario where you needed to design? I mean, other than you know here, like there's literally you know kind of looking our our bottom two candidates into the closet, um, and keeping them you know kind of in the dark, um, you know it, like. Bernie Sanders, you know, I, in 2020, he had a better shot, but like, you know, it wasn't the superdelegates that screwed him. It was, you know, kind of the, you know, this collective agreement from the, the other candidates that like to do the, you know, quote unquote right thing and just drop out. Um, yeah. Keep in mind, COVID hit. We didn't know if there was going to be an economic recession. A whole bunch of shit happened to. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there's. That. There is there was a lot that you know probably impacted that in a way that um, you know wouldn't before, but in in 2016, right, where a lot of that superdelegate conversations like kind of took ahead, right. I mean, he lost before it came down to the superdelegates. Um, it it didn't really you know it didn't matter. It's just that the the idea that that could ever be a problem, right, is it's it it it's just kind of unsettling, right. I think most people who are of you know more. Uh, you know, leftist persuasions, um, you know, not when, you know, liberal, I mean, you know, whatever definition you want to use for that, but like people who are more progressive than like the mainstream Democratic Party, right? I mean, I think they generally have, you know, democratic ideals that, you know, they sort of acknowledge when they've, you know, lost democratically, right? You know, that their mm-hmm. candidates are less popular, but you, because you have all these mechanisms that sort of obscure that, right? It's, it's just not ideal. No, that's, that's, again, that's spot on, because the, 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 the makeup of the modern left today is not all that far off from where it was at in, like, the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. You could basically argue we have the crumbling remains of student radicalism uh, from the 70s kind yeah. of posturing the left challenge to the existing Democratic Party, and even then... The SDS had a framework to implicitly 
you know, work within the Democratic Party structures and apparatus. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, to that end, the Democratic Party has only ever gotten better at restraining and housebreaking that left coalition to basically be enthusiastic for the Democratic Party, you know, to do the backbreaking work of getting out the vote, especially mm-hmm. to radicals, but not ever really providing anything in return for that uh that organizational work pretty much that's that's the role the progressive left quote-unquote has to offer the democratic party at this point and in in this lineup right i would argue that bernie sanders from 2016 onwards was the serious contender for that faction one because he actually was part of it back in his day right so Mm -hmm. there's that aspect and then there's also the the fact that he is like the institutional representative of that faction being the senator from vermont and how his political career played out but for him to then decline to run in 2024 means that that lane is lost i think that lane has fully been housebroken at this point and to be honest i'm kind of happy that I, we don't have to deal with the heartbreak of another Bernie loss this time around. Sure. As well as just the vitriol of like everyone who's been understandably quite pissed off since 2020. I don't, I don't necessarily know how that, that whole sphere was going to play out this time around. It's, it's kind of a relief not to have to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it is in some ways, right. I mean, that's kind of the, the sobering, uh, frustrating take right is that like well at least we don't have to get our hopes up Uh, because i mean we're not like because yeah i mean you look at these candidates and there's not really an inheritor to that lane right i mean like no there is closest is like maybe marianne williamson um i i i i would say like she's probably the person that i like politically maybe agree with the most of these three um but even then, she's kind of problematic, and I, I remember the—I um, think it was—it was either the first or second uh, twenty twenty debate that she was in, and there was like some question about like you know what's the first like call to a foreign leader you're going to make as president, which is kind of a weird question, anyways. But her answer was like something like I, I can't remember if it was like the president of New Zealand or something who said that like New Zealand was the best country on the earth, and she was just like, "I'm gonna call them and tell them, no, sister, the U.S. is the best country in the face of the earth." And I'm like, I like just remember like in that moment just wanting to die. <laughs> I just was like, it's over. Like I'm like, this is like she doesn't have a shot at winning this, but I was like, like you know, this is like this is the Democratic Party just, you know, manifested in this moment. Like, it's over. You know, Trump has won the re-election. It's over. I mean, obviously, you know, that didn't pan out. I mean, I was being a little hyperbolic at the time, but man, I just, that was like one of the cringiest things I had ever seen in my life. You're you're not wrong there, right? And I think this, this kind of folds into the, I mean, fuck the outline, right? But basically, like, what RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson represent to me, right, is that you don't win an election, it's okay, you can still spin it into this kind of alternate media sphere career, and maybe you can land yourself a gig as a fundraiser, right? So, RFK Jr., right, he's part of the Ring of Fire show. I I don't know who listens to that, but... It's it's one of those internet like broadcasts for left of center 
uh, political coverage like uh, Sam Cedar or the Young Turks, kind of, right? And then Marianne Williamson, you know, has been like a... I don't know, because she does her whole thing with, like, um, the orb mother aesthetic. I understand that comes out of this, like, contradictory phase we're in, where, like, what does a spiritual life look like in the 21st century? I know that organized religion's problematic, but I don't know if new-agey stuff is really the answer. Sure, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, she's she's just kind of an an oddball in general, right? I mean, it's, right. You know, I mean, she. I think you know, like the whole new age guru aesthetic, and you know, I mean, not just aesthetic, you know, reality is just kind of bizarre. And like, you know, there's, I, I think on policy grounds she has some points, but I don't think she articulates them. And I, and I mean, again, I saw, I've I've we've seen her participate in like a primary debate before, like, you know, when when you see like you know. Biden and Sanders, you know, sort of going at it. There's over like policy disputes. There, it's just like weird aesthetical disputes, and I just like that's not like exactly like the flag bearer for like I, I don't know any any type of youth enthusiasm. And, and I and I don't think that that's like I've seen some people like argue it's sort of the product of you know you know Bernard brother sexism or whatever. And it's like <laughs> I don't I don't think that's like it. It's just like you know I I think. Uh, had she not, you know, been dialectically opposed to Sanders in the primary, I mean, I don't think people would have really, I don't think that group would have had that many objections to, to like Elizabeth Warren, right? Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not saying that she was like a perfect candidate, but I think that they would have been okay with like, it, without the alternative Sanders, right? I mean, that was, I mean, she was a higher profile figure before Sanders was. I think that's kind of how a lot of these, you know, more, um, further left groups in, you know, the United States at least sort of kind of came to certain, you know, political awakenings was kind of through her, you know, attacks on like Wall Street and stuff like right. that, at least from a like mainstream coverage standpoint. So like, I, I mean, like, I don't think she would have I mean, I, I, again, though, I mean, like that's someone who like, I, I don't think she'll run because again, old, um, not that that's stopping any of these folks, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't, I don't think it's like a sex something. I think it's just that, you know, there's just, you know, it, there's a lot of other differences between Sanders and Williamson that would, uh, I think, fail to uh, excite you know any type of party base. Yeah, with with Marianne Williamson, it's like I don't know. She she comes out of that new age spiritual tradition, blah blah blah. You know, writes a lot of books. I wouldn't say I don't know. There's 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 stuff that just about that whole sphere that doesn't rub me the right way. I'm sure you could probably spin that into like. A guiding compass for a leftish product project, but, the, but it's like is, so it's like so far out of the mainstream that it's like, dude, there's so much work to do if you really want to spin that into like a project. Like it's it's something that like no one really like it doesn't cross anyone's mind. And this is this is kind of the thing, right? Where it's like progressive ambition is the kind of guiding principle for credibility sometimes right sure. i think the only time you get outside of that credibility is the kind of fetishism americans have for private sector leadership or military leadership mm-hmm. but even then like that can be hard to spin and i think what people tend to fall back on is like well they had a career as a senator as a governor as a judge as an attorney right. whatever as in that public facing 
role, so to speak. And I think with Marianne Williamson, like taking that media profile and then spinning it into a presidential run, I can't fault her for trying that because that's basically what Trump did, even though people allegedly say it's his profile as a businessman that got him credibility. It's really his profile as a media figure. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I, we've had so many, like, businessmen run for, uh, pre- I mean, Herman Cain, you know, all those folks, right? And, you know, we'll talk about him when we get to that part of the, you know, discussion, but, you know, even, like, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, right? I mean, there's a lot of these, like, there's a ton of businessmen that run. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. It's the media figure aspect that gave him much more salience. 100%. Um but yeah, I, I just I don't know what Marianne Williamson's own like internal contradictions I think need to be addressed of like okay, you you're using this belief system as your ideological, you know, guidestone, that's fine. But then what does that translate into materially? That's a question that I don't think she herself has an answer to. I think what she's leveraging is that post 2020, she was able to come on as like a highly demanded podcast guest or like a, you know, a commentator on certain world events. And to her credit, you know, she can provide this like humanistic explanation for the problems of the system, but. Which is better than nothing. But it's also too little too late, right? Like, I yeah. think, you know, Bernie Sanders also, a pro- like, provides a humanistic explanation for the failures of the system. Biden somehow also does, you know? It's not... Right, yeah. It's it's one of those things where it's, like, it's 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 purely style. Exactly, uh, yeah. Hang, hang on, I'm getting a call. Okay, sorry about that. But yeah. Yeah, to that to that point, you you're 100% right that she's offering a lot of style, but what does that square off into into substance? And I I'd, I'd argue that's actually the same thing with RFK Jr. Yeah, so uh I guess that's a good segue to get into RFK Jr., right? I mean, I think uh obviously he's the uh, son of uh Robert Kennedy, uh, I guess, senior, uh, you know, the uh, former attorney general, former presidential candidate, um, you know, kind of this major, you know, in his day, you know, figure of, you know, sort of the uh, progressive left at, at, at that time. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, his son is, you know, kind of, you know, it's sort of the forgotten Kennedy uh, in some ways. Right. He's sort of been. Uh, kind of ignored in a lot of ways. I think the big thing that's been getting a lot of higher profile coverage from him has been um, his anti-vax stance, which is not, uh, which, you know, to his credit or discredit, uh, is not exclusively about COVID. Uh, he's an old school, you know, vaccines cause autism, uh, anti-vaxxer. Um, 
in a post, you know, COVID world, uh, that's kind of, especially in the Democratic uh, base, right? That's that's kind of a just a you know non-starter, right? Um, his other views, um, I we we did talk recently um, on DMs about he had, uh, I guess Biden had released some of the Kennedy documents, but not all of them. And he's like, oh, you know, the American people deserve to know the truth. But then he followed this up with like this weird thing about like, oh, you know, the CIA has a lot of wonderful people in it, uh, which was like, like, does that include like, which I mean, like, obviously, there's the whole, you know, CIA conspiracy. Did they, you know, kill JFK? And it's like, is, you know, are, are the good people the ones that, you know, killed your uncle or are they different agents? Like, I don't know. It's it's very just. I don't know. RFK's career, when you look at it, RFK Jr.'s career is very odd, where he's coming out as an environmental attorney. I'm not doubting mm-hmm. that he did good work in that in that field. Is kind of, you know, also combating environmental racism. So I, I can't, like, downplay everything he's done as bad, right? Sure. But I would say, like, with the old school and even the new school anti-vax crowd, right? Mm-hmm. is once again it's a massive contradiction that you're trying to solve with a single lane and because it's inadequate you have to come up with this bizarre worldview right where i really think what's going on is like there is a massive confluence of one poor education and misinformation there's a level of distrust between the public and quote-unquote science and medicine there's also the fact that for-profit medicine benefits from its position in ways that it doesn't have to build trust or build Mm -hmm. credibility with people and then again there's just there's just so many cases of uh big business being favored in the case of malpractice over the average person that it breeds distrust and then it also promulgates, you know, environments for misinformation and charlatans to to thrive, mm-hmm. right? So in the original case of the OG uh, vaccine anti-vax movement, it's the theramycel thing, right? Yeah, I'm not gonna deny that Eli Lilly is a very suspicious company. It's very weird that they had to put theramycel in and like. The fact that you can kind of do it without the chemical is very odd. At the same time, the the idea of autism being directly caused by exposure to chemicals is 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 a little bit odd to me, right? Because well, and I think ta- you know, too, you know, there's a certain harm that like kind of comes from like these conspiracies, right? Which is like, yeah, like I mean, like we've said that the, you know, it's. You're maybe right to be skeptical of some of these larger companies, right? But like, it kind of obscures legitimate criticism of them. Exactly, exactly. When we're just so like deep on like these kind of just you know these goose chases, right? Like they cause autism, like all these other things, right? It's like, and even like you know most of these like anti-vax folks, right? Like they're they're skeptical of the vaccine, but they're not skeptical of like you know most other treatments, right? Unless you know, God forbid, they're like tied to gender affirming care. Um, in which case, you know, then they're, you know, the work of, you know, Satan. Um, but for the most part, right, it's like any, any actual criticism of, you know, medical industry is just obscured by these, like, really, and even that, I don't even see people mostly blame the companies, right? It's like people who have nothing to do with them, right? You know, it's, you know, the Bill Gates microchip, it's, you know, whatever else is like, you know, tied to, you know, 
that and it, and it really just kind of it's 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 not a helpful lens to actually engage with meaningful criticism of these folks 100 100% and i think like that's my read of rfk's anti-vax uh career or crusadership is you know i i don't really understand how an environmental attorney makes such a small windowed criticism of what's a yeah. broader structural issue. You'd think he'd be smarter than that, but I think to be to be blunt, there's a lot of money to be made in these small window conspiracies versus, you know, sure. broader picture um systemic analysis or broader, you know, discussions on like these big big actors as a whole acting in weird ways that are inconclusive, you know, mm-hmm. that that research is never profitable for whatever reason. Although that tends to be more accurate in my opinion. Whereas yeah. it's like, oh no, vaccines directly cause autism. Here's how. One, I think because it's actionable and because it's like you you can kind of blame someone more directly with the faultier proof. Sure. It's easier to sell shit as a result. Let's face it, that that initial anti-vax movement was profitable for whoever was involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to, to our broader point, the whole point about actually we can't even have a broader discussion about the, you know, the medical industry, the pharmaceutical industry, how science is applied in a way that it doesn't earn the public's trust. You know, we can't even begin to have that conversation now because the the waters have been so muddied. Exactly. Yeah, we can't even we can't even identify what it is we're mad about now. You can't even, and that's uh, that's exactly why. Like, I don't know. With with some of the COVID hanger on discussions, like I I'm not even choosing to participate in some of this because it's yeah, it's, it's ridiculous at this point, right? But broadly, at this point, my read has been. You could have had an initial discussion about the lack of trust people have in the pharmaceutical industry, but that has been fully obscured by how the masks and the vaccines became a culture war issue more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and it's it's again, it's like I don't know how RFK Jr. plans to square that circle. I don't think he intends to. Same way how. He can earn a certain kind of cred from what I can only call like um, an Oliver Stone style Democrat criticism of the CIA, <laughs> but then like not following it to a, like a certain logical conclusion of like, okay, we need to really scale back the powers of this agency or consider disbanding it. Instead, he's like, actually, it's okay though. It's it, they might have done sus things in the 60s but it stopped then we don't have to worry about it they're they're good people. well it's it's just so weird where it's like it, like literally in that thread it's like the, the the very clear suggestions like they may have killed my uncle right <laughs> like they may have killed the president like what it's, is it what is it rfk yeah like because i mean that's like because that's the whole reason it even came up right is just like oh like they won't release the rest of those documents right so like there's clearly that suspicion so it's like they may have killed him but that's okay like it's so weird. Like I can't. Yeah, I don't know. In conclusion, I I find the entire field lacking, especially considering that my my selfish window for student loan forgiveness was really like 
my threshold for who I would consider supporting, if nominally. Sure. And even that, you know, the 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 half-assed promise of partial loan forgiveness is over. We don't even know how that's going to play out now. Yeah, and I I would imagine that like the debt. I I, I would I would think the window on the reopening that uh, you know the debt collection has to be contingent on how that plays out. I would think. Right, like yeah. I, I, just, I just can't fathom that they'd be like, oh, you know, oh well, and like we're gonna reopen the window. Like I, I, I just, it, like you have to feed something to like that base, right? And it's like very clear that like I think the youth vote is, um, you know, important to the Democratic Party, and the Republican Party is clearly you know definitely afraid of it, right? I mean, it's you, you, all kinds of proposals of like let's increase the voting age. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like why even bother trying to like win this group? Um, when we could just, you know, make it so they can't vote. Right, right. I, I, I'm really unsure what Biden's strategy here is, other than the old hackney line of, hey, it's me or Trump, you know, because I, I don't know who the pitch is. I don't even know if the pitch is to the bourgeois at this point. Because we, we're still on this, like, ever-arriving threat of a recession um it always feels like there's very little new money to be made on Wall Street. Um this summer has been a little calm, but let's face it, we were dealing with some pretty nasty environmental conditions last year. Mm-hmm. The Norfolk Southern um fiasco is still kind of unaddressed. And yeah. I, I I don't know how to put it right, but how many how much longer can Biden press the we're just not gonna talk about it button? Before things, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that everything collapses violently all at once, but there is this like slow crushing feeling of decline that no one wants to address. And then if someone does want to address it, they only ever seem to want to address it from the right. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's just kind of been the ever growing problem, right? And it's like the right wing solution is just like basically like, not that they're selling it like this, but it's like, let's just fucking, you know, tear the band-aid off and like cut your arm off um you know it's it's like let's just go straight for the amputation um in terms of you know whatever it uh, it takes to solve this and i i mean it, and it, i think you know the lack of willing to address this from uh most leaders on the left and by, by leaders i mean like elected officials right and i mean you can debate how left wing the Democratic Party is, you know, all you want, but you know, nominally they they represent, you know, the American left. Um, yeah, there's sort of like that lack of will to like really address, like, oh, hey, like there's there's some pretty serious problems when it comes to you know the climate and uh, other issues that we're just sort of kind of ignoring, kind of punting off, right? I mean, there's been some poor environmental policy choices in the Biden administration. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say anything egregiously worse than some of his predecessors, but it's still not, you know, totally trending. Well, I mean, I guess there's that uh, order on the EPA. So it's it's mixed. So, like, it's a little bit better. But I just think that, you know, we're the, the incrementalism, we're just kind of we're getting to a point where incrementalism is going to have to transform into a much more radical change uh, in order to survive. And people are not going to be prepared for that. 
Precisely. It, it it makes one wonder, like, what is the vision for the future should one exist? And even within the, the makeup of the party's most senior members and its elite, we're, I mean, well, let's, speak, let's speak specifically for the, for the democratic field, right? Yeah. It's an increasingly aging, increasingly uh, stagnant field of uh, party leadership. There's no new yeah. blood really coming in except for Hakeem Jeffries, who's kind of very loyal to the existing order. He doesn't challenge it. Um, and then we have this whole fiasco with one. Dick he might, Logan. he might, he might be even worse than that. I don't know. I mean, like I've like some of the stuff, like his support for some of the decisions in New York and whatnot. It's mm. pretty bad. Yeah, I guess I buy that. I do buy that. What I was, what I was really trying to get at though, was like um, this business with Feinstein, right? Yeah. So, uh, Feinstein made her uh, uh, triumphant return to the uh, to the Senate. Um, probably a little bit uh, of a stretch to call triumphant. Uh, she looked horrible. Yeah, uh, I'm not trying to be mean. Um, she looked, you know, like someone who you know should be. I mean, forcefully removed. I get that that sounds bad and whatnot, but like it's yeah, like this is someone who should not be. Um, in office, clearly, you're just not physically capable of, you know, frankly, probably taking care of herself. Um, you know, just the basic functions of life, let alone, you know, representing the largest state in the union. And, um, you know, there was that push to temporarily replace her. Republicans blocked it. Democrats didn't really do much after that. Um, so they, you know, kind of, I guess they try to encourage her to come back and here she is, um, she needs to resign. Um, there has been kind of, I mean, I mean, even on, um, Dick Durbin is sort of the head of that committee has been really just throwing softballs about it. Right. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, important to like, leave it up to like her and her family and decide what's best for them and her constituents, of course, but like the constituents are a secondary thought at best. Um, I mean, even Jake Tapper of all people is grilling him on this, saying that mm -hmm. like you know, look at you know, RBG that didn't work out too well, did it? Um, and like, and it's directly again tied to the judiciary, where it's like there's kind of this renewed sense that like, yeah, this is an important institution that we should care about. Um, in terms of like you know achieving political objectives, and Democrats do not seem to take it too seriously. Um, despite the fact that Republicans clearly, like, I mean, I mean, even Trump was joking about how much, you know, like, you know, basically McConnell only cares about judges and cares about nothing else. And it's like, this is why, because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important in securing a lot of their political objectives, right? They wouldn't be able to, um, you know, legislate at the national level against abortion without the Supreme Court sort of stepping in. And yeah, there's kind of, you know, reeling electoral drawbacks from that, but um, you know, it's still ultimately their their primary objective uh, in a lot of ways is that and various other things, right? You know, using um, the courts to block whatever other like you know liberal policy that uh, they don't like. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Feinstein situation is generally not good. Um, there's, you know, I, I think there's a few motivations that are sort of delaying any effort to sort of you know 
will try more hard to kick her out, right? I think that, you know, on some level, it's, you know, they're all old and they don't want, you know, the same criticism raised against them, uh, which, you know, I guess that's fair. Um, frustrating, but I guess that's fair. Um, you have um, sort of this issue of, like, the primary dynamic there as well, right? You have, mm-hmm. you know, sort of this, you know, because... You know the, the whole point of getting her to resign, right, is that you can replace her, and and in California you can replace a senator by appointing their successor, right? I mean they did the same thing for Kamala Harris when she became vice president. Uh, they can do the same if Feinstein drops out, and right now there are what three people coveting that, uh, you know, primary for that Senate seat. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, Porter, um, Barbara Lee, and uh, Adam Schiff. Well the most logical person to appoint to that spot, right, is probably one of them. And if you appoint someone else, right, maybe they um, decide, you know, I'm also going to enter this race. And they kind of have this leg up being like this, you know, pseudo incumbent, right? I mean, they they are an incumbent, just, you know, not one that had been like formally elected by voters before in that role. So there's kind of that weird political dynamic going on. Um, Is that like a good reason to like not replace her? You know, I, I would say no. Uh, I would think that, you know, our other other objectives are more important than that. But it's, you know, that's there's a lot of these like weird, you know, kind of old school political incentives at play that are really frustrating this process. Yeah, that's that that's spot on. And it's I don't know. I think it's a bit of a stretch, at least. To full throatedly believe the Democratic Party is a controlled opposition, but. They're not beating those allegations credibly right now. Um, yeah, yeah, that's um, <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's they're not necessarily their their role as a you know controlled opposition definitely feels um, more controlled than opposition at this point. Yeah, and it's again with this whole thing, right? Of like at, at this point, the public has more than correctly begun to identify uh the courts as a retarding uh force against product uh, against progress i don't mean that in a slower way please please don't cancel me i really mean in the sense that like they do not let things get better yeah yeah exactly and then and then you know i think people are beginning to realize that yes the republican party has a vested interest in um in using the courts to maintain an agenda because they've proven time and time again that they don't want anything to be passed through the legislative branches they know these court appointments are for life if not life at least 30 years so they will get a judge who will do everything that they want and for the democrats to basically have no fucking um answer for this is it's it's criminal to me really it's um it's it's kind of it, it once again betrays one this anti-democratic tendency of its rules and norms to prevent progress to prevent change from within and also it's one that doesn't do anything to stop its opposition it doesn't it does nothing at all it makes you wonder like why has this current leadership clique stuck around as long as it has 
Unless the very present fear is that anyone who could replace them is a is a clear break from the current path. And I, I don't really believe that. Uh, because they can come up with like a new guy grown in a vat thirty years younger than them. That's how we got I mean, Hakeem Jeffries. That's how we got Hakeem Jeffries. Right. So like there's a younger cadre of liberals who will replace the leadership and do all the same things they're going to do anyways. I don't believe for a minute that just getting someone younger is an automatic change, but they're acting as if anyone replacing them is a clear and direct break that goes down the the path to communism somehow. I don't I, that's how they act. Yeah, I mean it's I mean, like you're being a little hyperbolic in some ways, but like I, in, in other ways, not really, right? I mean, it is kind of how they they generally behave, right? That like it's like we can't, you know, and you know, it's it's you know, in my my Congress class, right? I, I kind of argue that you know, like I mean, like I mean, term limits, I think, are are bad for a, a number of reasons, right? And even yeah. the leadership ones are sort of a problematic in ways too. But like, it's really hard to sort of you know, like you know, to stand there and justify that, like. You know, some of these people, right, where they're 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 continuing to serve. Um, you know, obviously their age in a lot of ways makes them out of touch with just, you know, the political moment, the needs of today, the needs of younger generations and whatnot, right? I mean, like you you get that impression just when you talk to, you know, your uncles or whatever at, you know, the family dinner or whatever, right? Is that they don't like the the certain I mean that like following that stereotype, right? Of, you know, the idea that like, you know, like you know, like, you know, well, back in my day, you know, I paid off my college degree or whatever. Um, you know, it's like there's just certain like political changes and like economic and socioeconomic changes that are just radically different. And you get the sense these people are out of touch. I mean, Feinstein, I mean, there's that viral video, right, of her at like was like some elementary students or whatever, where they're like telling yeah, her like, yeah. something about climate change. She basically just tells them they're idiots. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it's like it doesn't. The dementia is just like this, like it's, you know, it, it's this sobering reality that you would think that would be a wake up call to them, right? That like, like I, I mean, I, I don't know, like I mean, if if this is like your fate, like, do you really want to be in the public spotlight for this, right? Like, you know, I mean, I've seen, you know, I've I've, I've had, you know, family members who have had, you know, really debilitating conditions and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they would have enjoyed, you know having to, you know, serve in the United States Senate simultaneously with that. And there's, you know, there was uh, someone who had kind of, you know, named and shamed some of her staff. I think that was maybe a little overkill um, in some cases. Was it like the Ken Kleppenstein thing or? Yeah. Um, you know, there was, you know, I, I can't necessarily say they all like bear some responsibility. The chief of staff, though, I mean, like there was the, the thing about where he's, there was like some memo where he's basically just like kind of, admits that he's like a shadow senator um like yeah that's that's all pretty problematic and like those people like generally speaking they would be able to get jobs with whoever her successor is or someone else who's already there yeah. right i mean they have um and i mean frankly not that you know being a congressional staffer is the most uh financially rewarding job anyways uh <laughs> but you know if they're interested in that line of work there's there's avenues to stick around like it's not like they would you know their senator's gone, they're gone. Um, it's California, like, for God's sake. It's not like, you know, there's a, you know, outside of, like, you know, their, their weird, you know, 
primary rules, there's a very low chance that like a Republican would take, you know, that seat. And especially if they're appointed, obviously, but yeah, I mean, this is, we just see them like, you know, kind of like, like these democratic leaders keep, you know, walking off to like, you know, their death sentence. Right. I mean, there was, I mean, even, you know, like the uh, back to like the Tapper interview, right. When he compared it Mm -hmm. to like RBG, I mean, there was that thing where like, you know, someone asked her, why doesn't she retire under Obama? And, it wasn't even so much that, like, she's like, oh, well, you know, he wouldn't be able to find someone that, like, you know, could really replace me, right? There's no one that would have, that would be able to, like, match me or whatever. And it's like, on some level, it's like, is this just, like, pure, like, ego <laughs> these motivations or what? It, it, it sure does make you wonder, right? Like, it's, it's incredibly hard to, to read the tea leaves when these decisions are seemingly made behind closed doors if not literally yeah but it does not it does not bode well and it is not an exaggeration i think to criticize the democratic party for seeming not to believe in a future yeah and i mean and you know there's certainly you know you can maybe I, I don't think you can really levy a criticism on, on Bernie Sanders for it, right? But, you know, there's sort of that issue on, like, you know, the, the further left, right? Where it's like, well, you have Sanders who's sort of numb, but, like, he's not, like, a leader in any official capacity. It's just that there's not really been, like, and he's essentially stepping aside by not running anyway. So there's yeah. not, like, anyone to, like, that's ready to sort of take that mantle. Um, and, you know, maybe that's to some extent, like, you know, reflects their own concerns about stuff. But I, I, I don't think that's really it. I mean, as you said, is it, is it like concerns about, you know, the political, um, you know, the views of their potential successors? I mean, clearly, as I said, you know, it's you have Hakeem Jeffries. I mean, I'm sure, you know, someone persuades Pete Buttigieg to run for Senate. Um, <laughs> there's your future Senate majority leader, right? Like, you yeah. Know, some you know incredibly milquetoast individual but uh yeah i mean that's kind of the the status of the uh, democratic party uh kind of you know not very inspirational at the moment um to put it lightly no and it, you could almost view it as poetic right where in some sense they fully succeeded in disciplining and uh tightening their left flank but in the process they've fundamentally turned everything into ashes in their mouth. So even the centrist, quote-unquote, democratic faction uh, is, is completely out of, out of juice at this point. Even though they've they won their short-term battle with their left flank. Anyways, mo- moving from, from this uh, sordid camp, let's, let's go to another one. Uh, our dear Republicans. Oh my fucking god! They they got a whole hornet's nest ready to run. God, yeah. I mean, it's it's so weird because it's like I remember you know in tw- in twenty sixteen right, which was you know when when obviously when Trump ran, but they had that crowded field right, and the field's not nearly as crowded this time right, and it's just like back then there was some cer- there was a certain level of a comedy and levity to yeah. the process right, where it's just like these people have such absurd ideas. But like the issue now is it's like they still have like those idea those same ideas and even worse ones. But it's also like mired with the fact that like 
in some cases, these people are actively, you know, both from the declared and not yet declared candidates, are, are have done or are continuing to do things uh, that are, you know, actively harmful to um, people, right? You know, like they're, they're, they, they have pursued policies that are, you know, harmful to various different groups. Um, and like, you know, there's a little bit more like reality behind this that like kind of sucks a little bit of that joy out. But, you know, I guess let's get into this, you know, declared field. Um, of course, you have Donald Trump. Um, no, you know, not really, you know, like we'll, we'll get in more into that. But, you know, that's kind of, you know, the obvious one. You have uh, your boy, uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get into my boy. We'll get into him. I, I, I hate this. Okay, okay. Let's let, uh, let me calm down a bit. We got the, uh, yeah, he's the executive chairman of uh, Strive Asset Management. Uh, in Ohio, so a Midwestern boy too, um, <laughs> really representing your demographic well. Oh, um, Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Arkansas, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina, and ambassadors to the UN for uh, a hot second in the Trump admin. Uh, Larry Elder hosted the Larry Elder Show. Um, you also have uh, an announcement pending from uh tim scott you know u.s senator from south carolina i can't wait to see what trump has to say about him i'm um, I, don't, I don't think we're I'm ready worried. for it i'm very worried i'm very happy oh. tucker is not running yes tucker's not running um other likely candidates to run uh there's still potentially mike pence um god i just like where is the appetite for a mike pence candidacy like oh my fucking there was god. there were I, I sent you that one thing from a mac gates where he's like the only people who want him to run are like political consultants who are gonna like just rob him blind <laughs> pretty, like, much. Probably, pretty much yeah, it's like that's that's probably the case and of course uh i'm not a candidate yet uh ron DeSantis, um who uh is in kind of an interesting uh, dynamic that we'll kind of get into. Maybe let's start. Let's start with DeSantis first. Was holy, holy. He, yeah. he, he, you know, people thought the Howard Dean scream was like uh, an amazing moment of self implosion. Yeah. This was a real, like, I'm sorry, the Howard Dean scream. He didn't even do anything, and they just laughed his ass off for no reason. This, this, this. Uh, I'm not a candidate yet. Nonsense. He he lost whatever juice like people thought he had in that moment. Everyone's he's, fears about him have kind of been allayed to a moment. He's still a threat. He's still hurting people. But right, yeah. I mean, as the governor of Florida, still incredibly harmful to various groups. He's he recently passed that. Oh God, what was it? A six? What's the uh, abortion ban? It's basically a total abortion ban, but it's like technically like within a certain period. Um. But anyways, like he's he's doing all this stuff, and like I've seen like Republicans talk about how like you know he's kind of killed himself for the general election because of stuff like that, and that's probably the case. But you know you never want to you know hold your breath. Um, but yeah, I mean he's I've never seen a candidate sort of enter like you know he was sort of these this presumed favorite, right? You know all of the twenty um, twenty election takes, right? Were like that, like oh he won so bigly in florida it's you know he's the future of the party um you have you know such you know illustrious party leaders as uh jeb bush famous winners 
um, endorsing him. Um, I believe um, I haven't seen it yet, but my mom had told me that like she she's like I thought you said he hadn't declared yet because like there's like literally presidential campaign ads for him by like other groups. Um, so like there's is a this like of- a draft Ron thing or like he's really I, considering I, this? I guess it's like you know sort of this draft thing. I mean obviously he's considering it, but like it's he's in this sort of damned if he does, damned if he doesn't thing, right? Where it's like he's come. And so battered and bruised into this primary, right? Because, like, Trump has just eviscerated him at every turn. There's several Trump ads against him. The Pudding Fingers Ron. Uh, there's that There's that weird one with uh, the uh, really awful... It was the... Um, God, what was it? Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping uh, phone call one where you have, like, these, yeah, 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 yeah. like, super stereotypical, like, accents for them, and they're, like, talking about how he's, like, this weak person that will be very good for their countries. Just, like, all of this stuff um, coming out of him, and, like, I've never seen someone who hasn't, like, announced yet just get, like, this destroyed so far. And, it, you know, all these weird stories that have come about him and that have, like, kind of portrayed him as, like, you know, more insecure than Trump, quite frankly, um, which is very impressive like you know almost humanly impossible but he's managed it and you know he because of just all that momentum he sort of has to run but if he does run he's gonna lose and like kind of kill any future chances which i mean obviously you know that's my preference but like on the other side if he like backs out then he's like he has like this permanent branding as a, a political coward so it's just this really fascinating uh dynamic you know it's like this is the humor really of like this primary right despite all the horrible things and the horrible things that he has done uh, and continues to do like it's it is amusing seeing him just get humiliated on a national stage disney suing him um yeah like it'll be interesting to see when he eventually announces just you know, I mean, I'm sure we've only scratched the surface on the things that have come out about him, right? There's probably all kinds of like op-ed research that's been done, uh, opposition research against him, and that we're going to look, it's going to go insane. Yeah, there's, I, we cannot really begin to unpack everything about DeSantis without doing yet another four part, six part series, right? Right. Which would be its own, uh, its own project, but. Just just another thing to observe is like, yeah, it's great that he's getting exposed as this insecure, sniveling guy. But then every time like it gets exposed, like the more depraved shit he does in Florida, mm-hmm. like he's proposing some kind of policy to like ban all migrants or kick everybody out of Florida. And people are already just pointing to like, okay, if he does this, like Florida shuts down. Not to say that, like, oh, it's great that we, you know, exploit all these people to have consumer convenience in America. Right. But it's, like, it's very fascinating that the American right has taken this insane death drive fascistic turn that, like, they well, want the all the... Well, thing is, is kind of... That's just, like, the, the old hat, right? I mean, that's, like, pre-Trump. Um, it's just been the the... the the thing that they've been talking about for years at this point it it is but it's also like it just it reveals like a fundamental like stupidity at the heart of this project right where it's like you guys want all the like all the joys of consumer convenience and you need an underclass to exploit to have that but you're mad you have to look at the underclass 
Yeah. Is that what this is about? Well, like, and like, and it's weird too because I think like increasingly we have like more and more like true believers in the party that are like in power, right? Like where yeah. they they are like you know high on their own supply, as it were. Um, whereas before, I think you know it was like you know it, it was convenient to exploit these groups both as um, you know both as the uh, you know the underclass servants, if you will, but also like as like these convenient scapegoats to explain, you know, all of your economic woes are actually the fault of, you know, migrants. Um yeah. and people who are have a slightly darker skin tone than you. They're all, you know, Lucifer in the flesh, as it were. Um and you know, all that is so it's like, you know, you have like this weird uh transition of that over time. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like, a, like, as you said, you know, there's there's so much to delve into just, just in terms of, like, the policy choices of this this man. He is, he is the golden goose of neuroses to diagnose and, and observe. Sure. In, 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 the, in the right-wing mindset. That's all I can really say conclusively. As regards, with regards to everyone else who we know for sure has declared, I, I've said everything I've had to say about Nikki Haley um, when I talked about Bobby Jindal. I don't need to repeat it. Everything still stands. Asa Hutchinson, people don't even remember who that is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, and one of the thing is too, it's interesting because there's like this push for like this anti-Trump candidate and like, who is that? At, at this point, like the the Trump phenomenon, like okay, whether or not Trump wins in twenty twenty four, he's fundamentally repainted the brand. Like everyone has to have a a riff or a response to it in some yeah. way. So the damage has been done by Trump. I don't know if Hutchinson is going to find that pre-2016 lane and ride it out to 2020. I really don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I, like, I was like, I mean, he's the closest I could think to, like, an anti-Trump candidate. Because, like, I mean, like, there was a push for, like, Pence to be it. But, like, Pence, like, you know if there's, like, on the debate stage, someone's going to ask, like, straight up, like, how do you feel about, you know, wanting to be assassinated on, uh, you know, the, the fact that, you know, Trump wanted you basically killed by his supporters. And he'd be like, well, you know, Oh, he's going to fumble the bag on that. He'll, he'll be like, well, you know, if, if, if the shoes were on the other foot, I totally understand why the president wanted to be killed. And frankly, uh, there are times where I want myself to be killed uh, <laughs> because of my failures to uh, support, you know, the greatest president we've had of all time. Like, I mean, he's just going to, like, completely cuckold himself. Pretty, pretty much. I don't think there's a better way to describe the Pence mindset at this point. I, I, can't, I can't even, like begin to understand what his project was because even if he was like an active vp as part of the trump project he would be like working to ratchet up the the pro-life movement contradiction even further but he kind of was just very passive he was very happy to let trump do shit on his own i don't i don't well, I mean, the pro life project was being enhanced already. Like, I mean, what, yeah, what, without what did his he really hand, need to do? Yeah, fair like enough. so. Yeah, fair enough. He didn't take he didn't take much of an active role. So, even Despite even it if the greatest struggle of our time, according to him, but Jesus, all, all I can say is like, yeah, with Pence, it's like he is again just like a figurehead. I don't know what he can even say he did as part of his. Uh, as part of his administration as vice president. Well, right? he was like, like in charge of COVID response, but like 
Oh, good he was so far, he was so far on the background of it, and like again, it's like a weird thing where it's like they were both disa- they were like completely disastrous, and like people both on the left and right largely agree with that, but for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. I g- g- good luck having anything to run on, Mike Pence. That's 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 uh, an unenviable position, really. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. I am interested too in seeing the Tim Scott Larry Elder lane. I <laughs> having two black conservatives in 2024 will be interesting. This yeah, is that something... is kind of weird because it's like they're usually just like so much of like just this like you know not to you know I, I mean I guess you know just to be blunt I mean they're usually just there as like that token like look at the diversity of our party, um, and they don't. I don't know. I mean, like, neither of these people are like, I mean, I, I'd say Elder probably has a better shot than Scott. Like, Scott's just like a void of charisma. Um, yeah. Oh, we did forget to mention that when Feinstein, that she mixed him up with uh, Raphael Warnock. So, yeah, she's definitely, she's so definitely not funny. there mentally. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. This is this is definitely like a, a lane that we will need help commenting on. We're going to need, like, specifically black guests to help us unpack some of this stuff with like yeah what is the right in the like in the african-american space right it's its own kind of thing but you know larry elder specifically comes out of that cultural grievance uh pipeline to the right Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting to see that kind of guy come into the fold i don't know if he's gonna get enough to make it to the debates or not but there's well, like we were saying earlier with like the Texas shooter, you know, I think there is this pipeline of cultural grievances as a entry point for specifically minority men as sure. a pathway to the right. And seeing like, you know, again, like media figures exploit that a lot. Larry Elder being one of them, Tucker being yet another of them, although he is less of a pipeline and more of like a male shoot, right? <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, I'm I'm very there's there's much to unpack there. I will need help unpacking that. Vivek Ramaswamy, I can unpack that one myself. Oh buddy. <laughs> oh buddy, I'm shaking that bag open. All I can all I can really say, right, is that you know, South Asians have really benefited from that model minority framing. And I think a lot like you know, they tend to be pegged as either liberal or apolitical in certain contexts, but the right fold of it has been very visceral in its desire to protect its position. Um, it wants to covet, you know, protect everything it's coveted from its model minority status and doesn't care about trampling over people in the process. People don't necessarily know this stuff, and you know, diaspora history is very poorly understood. One in American history as a as a broader study, and also just among people, something that I think like goes back to as far as like the earliest communities of people who migrated to the United States from India, mm-hmm. right? During the initial censuses of like how do we count South Asians. There was a vocal contingent of people who wanted to be counted as white. And I don't think that mentality went anywhere, even with later waves of immigration. I think it okay. 
it has basically festered in certain segments. Um, I think certain, you know, people who make it through the immigration system harbor right-wing views that they already had while living in India. And those map incredibly nicely to the American context. The art, mm. the BJP mindset, I'm telling you, they they've got they've got like 25 secret spices they add to the american conservatism mix it's it's amazing <laughs> it's amazing what they've done with it look i'm i'm going to tell you i'm going to i'm going to say this for the listeners right when i was visiting um the motherland a couple of years ago i was overhearing a conversation about um what I can only describe is like it's very similar to the complaints right wingers would leverage about affirmative action in public education settings, right? Sure. In India, it's more along caste lines that those biases are applied favorably for the okay. minorities in that case, right? But everything that was said, I had heard verbatim on like a Fox News clip on Facebook. I had heard verbatim on a Prager Review video. I had mm. heard it verbatim from like some right wing trolls like posts on social media, right? So, you know, the the language of the right, it changes languages but fundamentally has the same structures. It's not they're not yeah. they're not really adding anything new to the mix when they when they, you know, posit anything. But I would definitely say that, you know, Vivek Ramasamy, he comes out of that tradition. If not um, explicitly, he definitely fits the bill for uh, minority membership in the Republican Party as a whole, especially in the Midwest context, right? Mm-hmm. And he he plays up that uh, tech industry, capital management uh, profile to his advantage in conservative spaces. I don't know how he's spinning the big pharma connections. He's got he's got to have an answer for that in the primary, because they can they can call him a vax cuck, and that might that might hurt him. Yeah, that could. That really could hurt him. But at the same time, right? Is like, you know, he's he's. I see him as fundamentally like he has no no scruples, no moral compass. He's as. Uh, right wing and fascistic as everyone else in the baseline of the party at this point wants to ban immigration, wants to ban any climate action, wants a more uh, wants more austerity in the system, and I I don't stand for it. The Indian diaspora stays taking L's in the United States, and it's going to continue to do that when Vivek Ramasamy is the best it has to offer in a, in a primary of all things. I don't think. Uh, the model minority framework benefited South Asians in the United States. I think it only increases reactionary thinking, and Vivek Ramaswamy is the natural fucking outcome of that. That's my final fucking take, and I, I hope he loses. I hope he, I hope he doesn't make it past Iowa. I hope, uh, he he remains in obscurity for the rest of his days. I got nothing nice to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> uh, that summarizes it pretty well. I think, um, you know, I, I'm admittedly uh, less versed in a lot of his um, stuff individually. I mean, I've seen some of the clips, right? I mean, you're right. Like, uh, you know, most of his policies, it's it's you know, as far to the right as anyone else in that primary, right? There's not like any, you know, it's 
it, it's diversity kind of in in a surface level only for most of these um you know candidates right like it's just there's not like you know oh well, there's like a special lens that they bring is like a member of such and such community like no like they they don't have like there's not a real like intellectual diversity in terms of like what's being presented right they're all you know speaking the same language um maybe just with a slightly different accent or dialect but it's you know it's the same stuff right it's you know anti you know big government whatever you know that you know nominally means and all that stuff right and just just another point I wanted to add to right is um, he really tried to ride that transphobia wave to get some mainstream coverage, mm-hmm. and I'm not letting him live that down. I really find that stuff kind of disgusting, especially when him being South Indian, especially, and how in regions of South India there are more protections for trans people, even in. The third okay. world, surprise, 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 right? Yeah, interesting. E- even in like a traditional Hindu society, like there was a third sex. The idea of a, a transgender woman is not inherently foreign to us culturally, right? Mm. Um, he can play up the Indian identity card all he wants. That was an opportunistic move on his part that I don't respect. And I, I, I can't stress it enough in a time when anti-LGBT laws are, one, an easy way for right-wingers to boost their cred for social mobility within that sphere, as well as just one of the most regressive things we're doing in America yeah. right now. Well, and, and let's be clear, that that's all they're really accomplishing, is yeah. boosting their cred in that like particular like, sphere. Like, you know, I mean, intellectual is probably a little bit of a, a stretch uh, to refer to it as like, you know, the right-wing intellectual sphere or whatever. But, you know, it's, that's all it is, right? There's, there's no evidence that it has really improved their odds electorally. Um, there's nothing that it has, like, and the only thing it does is, like, help them in a primary or whatever, which is, like, that's the problem with, like, all of this stuff, right, is, like, these individuals who are, you know, causing harm either through policy or through, um, you know, just their, you know, their rhetoric and sort of, you know, inspiring, you know, more hate in, you know, the hearts of their fellow man or whatever, um, it's it's all kind of, you know, just for the sake of like, you know, primary success. And like, you know, most of these people will be out before Iowa and it won't, it won't change anything, right? That this is just kind of, you know, they shilled out and, you know, maybe to some extent this reflected their own personal views, but like you're, that you're, you're going to continue to see them just kind of, you know, continue to spout hate and, whatever else to like maintain some form of relevancy that right wing sphere. Yeah. Before these things used to be like, uh, mere shibboleths to pass a certain litmus test. Now they are full on. Uh, now, now it is a full on marker of belief that they are prepared, you know, to no end mm-hmm. to cause as much wanted harm as they can. And Yeah. You know, as as funny as another Trump run will be, I don't really like where the American right is heading. I never liked where it was heading to begin right. with. But especially especially these days, it's it's not it's not fun. One hundred percent.
to that end as well, we would we would be remiss not to bring up um, Joe Lieberman's involvement in the No Labels campaign. Yeah, so No Labels is this um, bipartisan group that's been around for God for forever, basically. Um, now, however, they feel compelled for God knows why. Um, apparently, it's only been around since 2010. It feels like it's been around forever, though. Um, that's still, I mean, 13 years. But for whatever reason, they decided that they want to uh, field a presidential uh, candidate, right? And this is, you know, what we would typically call like a, you know, the idea of this candidate would typically be like a spoiler candidate, right? Which is someone yeah. who's going to kind of, you know, they have no shot at winning. They're there to just, you know, sort of um, cost the election for one side or the other. Um, so. They, uh, you know, so the big push, right, is this going to contribute to, you know, four more years of Trump. Uh, Lieberman claims it's not their goal. Um, it, it probably is, right? I mean, no labels is, is frankly a joke, right? And I think that that's become increasingly clear um, in more recent years that, you know, it's, you know, sort of nominally what they stood for was sort of this, like, preservation of, like, bipartisan um, civility, Right. And, and like, that's kind of, you know, what they represent. I think there's like minimal, I mean, I'm not saying there's like no interest in that, like at all, or like that there's, that that's like a nominally bad thing, but it, it is kind of, you know, problematic for a number of reasons. Cause it's like, you know, yeah, like, you know, we need to, you know, sort of like, you know, if, if someone's like bad, you should call them out. Right. It's not like, you know, you shouldn't just have to like civilly, you know, the, the idea of this like gilded age where we were, you know, rubbing shoulders with, you know, segregationists. I don't think that that's, you know, a particularly palatable period that I really want to see recreated. Um, but, you know, like, more recently, they've been, you know, just kind of, I think, increasingly more and more right-wing. You know, it's it's kind of the manifestations of the of both sidisms, but even even then, it's sort of more and more pointing towards, like, you know, not just both sidisms, but, you know, republicanism like almost straight up yeah i think i think that's spot on there's there's a lot we have said on the podcast before about empty-headed centrism yeah as an object of political fetish that i i don't know how much more we can beat that dead horse but all i can really say right is that there is no longer a point where it's merely incidental or innocent i think it fully at this point, obscures certain realities intentionally. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the yeah, it's dark. Just stomach it, and I don't, I, I, I don't got any respect for it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, there was, you know, when they emerged in 2010, there was, you know, maybe like, I don't know if like admirability is fair. I mean, it was like at the time, it was mostly like, you know, only on the right really that you were seeing like kind of, you know more vitriol but i think increasingly like, we're seeing like on the left people just get like really frustrated with you know the conditions of this country and the conditions of um politics uh you know kind of at large and this is uh you know this group has done little in defense of it and it's and again again it's like the centrism of like you know like oh like there's you know you know, a Republican who is like, you know, pseudo pro choice in the sense that they like will vote pro life most of the time, but they are like personally pro choice is like sort of their ideal candidate, right? It's it's like these weird mismatches. Someone like a Joe Manchin 
and, and, and let's let's face it, right? I mean, Joe Lieberman is the proto Joe Manchin, probably you know even worse than Joe Manchin, which is you know kind of hard to believe. But you know, just someone who has had, um, you know, kind of like repeated negative consequences on American politics, right? He was a senator for yeah. a long time. Um, you know, nearly single handedly killed the. Uh, the public option for the Affordable Care Act, a lot of things that he has, you know, had his hands in over the years that have, you know, probably, you know, like in general, I would say just not had a good uh, impact on anything. No, not at all. And uh, again, once again, I I wonder what kind of horse trading he stands to benefit from in this, but it does not bode well. One hundred percent. Okay, so we've been at this for two hours. What do you say we take like a quick break and then we can finish out strong? Oh, sure, sounds good. All right, we'll take a two-minute break. Be right back. Okay, I'm back. Alrighty. Okay, so we talked about meaningless power rituals in America. Maybe let's let's speak on one that happened across the pond. You pay attention to this uh, new coronation for King Charles at all? Uh, you know, a little bit. I, I mean, I didn't really, you know, I didn't bother watching it live or uh, really watching the whole ceremony. But it's it's been interesting, kind of like seeing the commentary follow up, right? I mean, I think the, uh, I mean, my favorite part was just you know the comparison of his uh, wardrobe to uh, Supreme Leader Snoke from Star Wars. Um, that was a weird of, style choice, yeah. Yeah, not the not not you know the uh, most flattering parallel, but they you know that he went with it, and you know I guess he has to live with that choice. I'm. I think the one thing that got me is like one, especially after like Elizabeth II's passing, like the monarchy has felt especially hollow as like a social construct. Yeah. Um, you know, at least in our, for our generation, right? Like she was crowned well before any of us were born. So mm-hmm. she inherits that kind of like legacy impression, but then, you know, seeing King Charles and, and she's a girl boss. So girl boss, you know, of, you know, <laughs> I guess like, I don't know what she's a boss of, but you know, nominally a girl boss. Gas like gatekeep girl boss. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> But then specifically in King Charles's case, right, it's like, this has just been like a guy walking around this whole time. Um, and he's kind of got that, like, you know, the legacy of, like, Princess Diana against him. Yeah, which that's not a good rumor to have looming over yourself, although in this case I... Well, not even a rumor, right? Just, like, the yeah. whole, like, you know, the fact that they were divorced and whatnot, and, like, you know, you know, this, oh, this mean, is, he, he was always the fall guy in that in that situation. Well, I, I was going to go with the implication that he was he was responsible for her death. But uh, well, that's, that's what I figured. <laughs> but I was like, you know, <laughs> even yeah, I mean, even that. I mean, I think that's you know, yeah, not, that's neither here nor there. I think you right. know, there's just, just the, the general like consensus is that like you know he was less liked than his uh, late wife. Of course, of course, and then just again with the infidelity and all that, it it does not. Yeah. It's very odd that he got out of that. And still gets like this bizarre public admiration and worship. It's very, it's very strange. A little bit, yeah, yeah. But I, I think once again, this is this is one of those few moments where, you know, as much as we complain about the United States and we comment on our bizarre social traditions and rituals, oh man, is it is it a relief not to have one of those? 
Yeah, I mean, not for uh, some people in these circles. Some people are uh, seem a little listful for our uh, our days under the monarchy, uh, apparently. <laughs> but yeah, there was like a Massachusetts a, Royalist squad or something. I don't know what that was about. I, yeah, I don't know. It's there's just some weird. Um, I, I've seen some weird right wing takes that are like, oh, well, you know, this is actually a better system, which is like weird because it's like this is a system where you have like this royal family who is just like. It basically like a government-owned tourism business. I mean, like that's really all they are. Uh, like they 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 serve very little like you know functions of actual like meaningful power. Um, it's just sort of this vestiges of this bygone era that like you know kind of fascinates people, right? I mean, you saw people generally interested in the coronation. I think a little bit more pushback than what we've seen from the monarchy in more recent years. Just for you know, I mean, obviously you know. He's not the queen. Um, he, there's a little bit of pushback as well due to all the stuff with, um, you know, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle as well. It was just kind of like this sort of renewed uh, anti-monarchist fervor. Um, you know, th- there was some interest in this just in the sense that, it, you know, it could be the last coronation we see too. Who knows? Um, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll be on the receiving end of a, of what looks like a recession too. We don't know. Again, mm-hmm. there's there's a downturn that is ever approaching. We have yet to well, see. Well, in, in their case, they've got you know everything working against them, right? I mean, here like we at least have like a generally a more robust recovery from you know the COVID um, economic strain, mm-hmm. um, for lack of a better term. There, I mean, they've got all the Brexit stuff. Um, there's just a lot of uh, there's a lot of deep issues in the UK that uh, have long been unaddressed and uh, have been uh, piled upon over the years as well. Exactly. I don't, all, all I'm gonna say is like again, I I know very little about what goes on in the UK. I kind of I, I defer to others on on their commentary for that. Um, the podcast Gladio Free Europe did an episode on like the coronation and like. Mm some of the medieval history behind the coronation ritual so it's a it's a good uh listen for anyone who's interested but yeah basically i i don't understand the right wing contingent in the US that feels a need to make overtures to the monarchy especially when i'm i'm sorry like if our whole thing is like 1776, rah rah America, I don't under I don't even understand like the idea of playful um, kindness. You know what I mean? Like you can yeah, be I mean, civil, it, it, but it, it doesn't is, make sense. This is it is this deep contradiction, right? You know, like this veneration for the founders and the revolution, yet um, a you know maybe slightly less equal veneration for the monarchy is, is, is a bizarre thing that you can't really fully square together. Um, I don't, and I, and I think, you know, it's kind of, there's like this sort of international characteristic. And I think we're, we're seeing it more and more for like sort of right-wing ideology and like, you know, the, the monarchy, like as a symbol is still sort of, you know, nominally right-wing, even if it's, I mean, I, Charles's personal brand of politics. I mean, I don't know what they are, and I mean, they frankly don't matter. I, I mean, they, that's I, I know part he of- tried to meddle in like stopping the rent freeze movement in Ireland to mm. some extent. So, and then he even tried to intervene in um, 
Scottish Parliament. I don't know what that was about, but like, you know, I, I the the royal family tends to lean conservative. That's not that's yeah. not controversial to say. Yeah, they they tend to lean a bit more conservative, and like, but they're also sort of like because of their you know sort of constitutional role there, they are you know limited in the facets for which they can actually engage in politics. Yeah. Um, so it's that's it's kind of irrelevant, but you know at least the you know institution of the monarchy is definitely conservative, and there's sort of that admiration for it. It's still sort of this vestige of like tradition, right? And you know that's kind of a big part for like these right wingers right is you know the idea of traditions and um things like that um but yeah i mean it's yeah like I mean, we've seen i think increasingly this like international veneration for it right i mean we've seen you know look at you know the brazilian um you know elections right I and mean, you've had you know you know sort of you know trump in exile 2.0 there right where there's you know, kind of equal veneration um, in that capacity, and it's 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 we're seeing, I think, more of this broad. You know, I hesitate to use the term like solidarity, but there's there's more like it, it does feel like this is like a as much as like rant against globalization and stuff like that. There does seem to be this globalized phenomenon that like right wingers are seeing are seeing sympathy in uh, one another. Yeah, that's something that. George Jackson talks about in his book, um, Blood in My Eye, which is a collection of his letters from prison. Mm -hmm. And in one of them, he does talk about, and I understand it's a controversial book, but in one of the chapters, he's talking about the nature of fascism. And it has this internationalist character that, like, conventional liberal uh, frameworks of fascism do not seem to include how it seems to follow uh, the militant left in the, in the same international flows, almost like after the left pops up, it will come mm-hmm. up as like an as a, as an opposing force, right? So I think you know it's it may have been different in Jackson's day. the The networks and the organizations involved are, were different, but it's not hard to just see that one in like the alternative right media space, how even for seemingly disparate political movements, there's a bizarre synthesis between like Modi in India, Bolsonaro in in Brazil. Um, You have somehow both the Ukrainian and the Russian right getting involved in different ways. You've got, uh, again, the Miami... Turkey, the Miami industrial complex, you name it. There are, there is an internationalist character to the right that uh, they downplay and that we often don't understand. But I, I would say that, yeah, the even it, the the U.S. lip service to the royals, I think, is still part of that, and it's it's not worth downplaying to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's maybe the least harmful but you're right like it's sort of like you know maybe maybe even like a light gateway to get in there um yeah because like the the all right like return with a v aesthetics and like these idiotic and ahistorical lenses they have for viewing western civilization and western history or even just having a Western focus on world history, 
I think plays into that and the mystique sure. of a of a royal family plays into those fantasies. I think. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily think that like you know like I mean I'm sure there's plenty of people. I mean like I, like the monarchy is interesting, right? It's not necessarily. It's of course, like, of you course. Know, you're not you're not you know destined to go down you know this you know right wing you know maybe pseudo fascist uh, pathway if you do this, but yeah, it's like kind of the mystique that like these particular individuals have for it is definitely rooted in to like a broader political agenda. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I guess uh, writ large, okay, this is the thing that we plan to discuss when we first conceive this episode. Um since since we conceived of this uh this episode, this event has somewhat matured and has been digested a bit. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to talk about the chokehold death of Jordan Neely on the New York subway a couple weeks ago, and the bizarre cultural referendum we're having on one when it's okay to be violent, um, the us versus them mentality we talked about earlier, and more specifically, um, the fact that. No one, especially the right, seems to understand the origins of poverty and homelessness, uh, both in urban settings as well as just more broadly. Mm-hmm. And I think the event of itself is a microcosm of these contradictions being writ large. Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent. And like you know, I was, I was just looking because I know we had gotten some updates uh, very recently. Right, um, right. The uh, so. And, and again, this is like kind of repeating that framing, right? This is from The Guardian. Man surrenders to New York authorities for subway chokehold death of Jordan Neely. Um, it does have his name. It's Daniel Penny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's facing second-degree manslaughter charges. Um, this event is just really bizarre, right? So it's like, you know, it's it's largely unprovoked, right? It's uh, Jordan Neely, I guess, just kind of... I mean, he's like yelling, kind of having like... I guess what could be approximated to like a breakdown, right? He's having this right. nervous breakdown. He's not like harming anyone. And even like the testimony from uh, the man who, um, you know, killed him uh, it was that he didn't like punch anyone or anything like that, but he just puts him in this chokehold. Um, the chokehold's ultimately lethal. It kills him. Right. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, you know, it, it's kind of, it, it, it's this intersection of a lot of things, right? You know, there's this kind of this war against the homeless going on um, that's kind of been like really reawakened uh, in a lot of ways, right? And I, I'm not really sure what was the direct impetus for that, but we've seen, you know, kind of this push against the homeless people and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, and, and like, you know, the response for um, you know from various outlets about this kind of you know speaks to um, where they are in this, right? I mean, I, I think on the right, you've kind of seen that like you know, this was sort of deserved. Um, you know, it's kind of it, it appeals directly to their like vigilante fantasies, mm-hmm. um, even if even if like you know there wasn't like a crime really being stopped here, or prevented. Um, but also, like you know, it kind of speaks to like this larger uh, issue, which is that you just fundamentally do not see like the dignity of these human lives, right? That like it's this man exists for you to satisfy your like vigilante fantasy of murdering someone uh, or killing someone, right? I mean, murder is the, you know the legally termed, and we, you know, we can use that after you know 
he's found guilty if he is but like you know it's like that you have like this 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 person doesn't have like you know say a dignity to their life because of their circumstances or whatever Mm -hmm. and that's you know kind of deeply disturbing it is and like again the press not giving daniel penny's name until it was basically leaked yeah. To kind of defend the this guy's identity, but not the victims, and then to his background as an ex marine, it just it paints this very dark picture of the frontier coming home, right? Of these of these guys who are trained to see everything as a threat, and right, which I mean, I guess you know speaks to another broad, which is it's funny too because I've never seen that really vote. Like I'm not necessarily saying that like defends his actions per se, but like I've never seen that maybe more reasonable take as like a defense for like why he did it. Right. Like there's yeah, no like throwing that he like, had PTSD to excuse. They're not even, they're not even yeah. playing that one, which again makes me really shudder. Like, Oh, so this was, he, he decided that moment he was going to do it. Right. But again, like this guy who's trained to just put down any mild threat with the most hostility possible. Sure. It's, it, it is indicative of like, okay, this guy was, we we trained this guy to do violence abroad and he brought the violence back home with him. That's never a good sign. That's really not a good yeah. sign. But then yeah. to that to that end as well, right? Is like this right wing overall, but like yes, liberals are prone to it. A certain class of person is prone to this of like I deserve a luxurious life in the city free of annoyance, hassles, and specifically having to interact with people who are unwell, in despair, or uncouth because of the conditions of immiseration, right? And it's not to say that, like, I myself am any better. I think the the common defense, people defending penny which again these are stupid defenses they made is like well what are you doing to make it better or like oh i bet you're saying all this to make yourself you know look more virtuous well, i'm not killing someone uh you know that's <laughs> you know that's kind of a maybe a start right, um, I, don't think it, right. I think it's a particularly bad start either but you know, it, yeah it's like it's kind of ridiculous right i mean i, I don't like it's not to say that like you know you should be miserable living in the city or whatnot right i mean these should be livable places but like you know i i I mean, I, I've never lived in the city, right? But, like, I mean, I've encountered people like this, where they're just, like, kind of a public nuisance, like, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, I, do I, I, it never for a second does it cross my mind, like, man, like, I could really just go over there and put them in a chokehold. Like, it, it, and some of these people, I mean, I mean, maybe that's a little too dark, but I was like, I mean, I, I don't know, like, some of, like, those, like, I mean, back when we were in college, right? Like, you know, the little, like, the wacko priest that would come and stand on his little soapbox, right? Like, right. he might have deserved that. <laughs> Maybe not not to die, but, like, he might have deserved, you know, some... I'm, I mean... You know, <laughs> he, might, he might have had an assault coming his way. I'm not condoning violence, but, you know, he was definitely enough of a public pest that I think, you know, had someone, you know, tackled him, I don't think anyone would have uh, took the stand against uh, that man, but... uh you know, it's like it's just you know. Again, it's such a certain level of tolerance, which is I mean, I'm not asking for much on that. Like a certain level of tolerance, especially when you have to interact with a lot of people on a daily basis, it's just kind of to be expected, right? Like at the very least, you know, don't like kill them. You know, <laughs> I I don't know. There's this like uh, 
the right is basically asking for a self-discretion to break the social contract, basically. Yeah. So whether it's like you had to, de- you know, you had to deal with the slight annoyance of, you know, an awkward interaction on the subway, or you had to deal with someone like uncouth for like five seconds, and it's someone you're never going to see again. Well, or, look at how these people respond to like you know much more serious like you know oh, yeah, actions yeah. of like personal like I mean look at how they react to like you know women getting raped or sexually assaulted right like oh it's like you know she probably had it coming or whatever it's right. like their, their go to response is like you know it's not compatible with their own like well other than you know I guess like there's a man doing uh, this action there's a man doing the other one too so both are you know worthy of defense maybe. Well, and it maybe like we don't need to, you know, have anything more complex than what this is, which is this was a clear like, you know, th- there's a clear racial bias here. Mm-hmm. That's why he got away with it. And he's only well, going to get charged with second degree like manslaughter, right? But yeah. at the same time, like there is this like broader thing I'm, that I find this nested within, right? Which is like how dare you inconvenience me? And you see this in like the you know how many times you see this like statement of like if I if someone blocked the road with a protest, I deserve the right to plow through them. Yeah, and I mean, haven't haven't they like let pass legislation in some states enabling that? Anyway, Florida, Florida is one of those places. Yeah. So it's I, I again like it's nestled in this idea of like someone I someone they deem lesser than them mm-hmm. dares inconveniencing them. Yeah. And that's like an instant cause for termination. It's 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 death drive times a thousand. It's 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 just bizarre behavior, but I think like there is just something like again, like tying tying this back to like 2016 and the, you know, the Trump brand of fascism coming into the hold and mm-hmm. You know, Charlottesville and Heather Hare getting hit by that car, right? Yeah. This recurring image of like, uh, someone with like a right wing bias literally plowing through somebody because they deem them an inconvenience keeps coming up. These people keep basically demanding their right to be misanthropic. Um, and there are people who, um are nestling that within like an anti-crime anti uh, or sorry or like a pro-public safety like lens but it's it's fraudulent it's fundamentally misanthropic i i have no other language for it other than you know this is this is just cribbing over having to deal with being in a public square i'm sorry people have been in public squares for thousands of years dealing with yeah. all kinds of people you go home, you sleep it off. I don't understand. Like, the real tragedy is that no one was there to help Jordan Neely with uh, his his housing issues, his his mental issues. Mm-hmm. None of, like, that's the real crime in this. The yeah. real crime in this is that actually all of us are powerless to help people who are homeless. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's your discretion to, you know, hand the guy, like, a marginal sum of money or direct them somewhere. You know, you have a, a non-profit industrial complex that takes the role that social services are supposed to take um, and they're limited by design. That's the yeah. real crime we can't talk about anymore. But we're stuck with 
I'm not even going to say the people fighting this are in the wrong. I, I think everyone calling out this mentality is correct, but because these people are spending so much time promoting this misanthropic mindset and then forcing people to come talk about it on their terms, is this like generative way to sublimate the issue almost, right? It's like, let, let us be. And the let us be in this case is let us kill people with impunity. We deserve it. That is yeah. that is American fascism. I don't know. How well, else yeah, to say I mean, it. it's it's transcended arguments of like self defense and whatnot, and you know, like it's like self defense. I think was the more like that, that was the palatable, you know, justification for some of the stuff, right? I mean, and we've been seeing increasingly. I mean, the problem is that that has been stretched to be like, oh, well, like the self defense was from the perceived potential of harm because the dude was black, right? I mean, that's kind of been how that's been like, you know conflated into you know more problematic views uh and problematic actions more importantly uh but now it's being extended into just you know like as you said like just mild inconveniences are you know grounds to um you know slaughter someone and and really it's you know minor inconveniences of you know you know as protesters and what i mean i guarantee like you know had, you know, we had like you know the genocide awareness project on campus a few times, right? I guarantee if someone like plowed through that display and you know slaughtered you know the people behind that, I doubt the right wingers would think that, that was you know remotely morally acceptable. Well, right? they they would be ready to cry bloody murder, but in this yeah. case, right? I mean, okay, Jordan Neely is only a microcosm of this broader problem. Like, yeah, in Rochester Hills a few years ago, like a black uh, middle school student gets lost on the way walking to the bus and mm -hmm. makes the mistake of knocking somebody's door to ask for directions yeah. is greeted with a shotgun. Yeah. I think uh, this, this was only a few weeks ago. Like this, this, this is, I mean, this is happening to white people now, like a white girl, like gets lost in the neighborhood, knocks a door and gets shot, you know, like it's at, at a point. Yes, there is a racial component to this. But it's also a combination of that and misanthropy at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a mix. Of, yeah, it's like you're mixing those two things together and whatnot. And it's, you know, I mean, there like again, like it speaks to sort of just, you know, kind of the fear mongering that we've been getting um, for these groups and whatnot. And you know, just you know, to the point where people are afraid. You know, not even just of people of different groups. And like, you know, the the thing is too. And like, I I want to you know reiterate this is like. You know, in this circumstance, like I don't think anyone's making like you know Jordan Neely into like a martyr, right? Like, it's just that like this is like he's you know I, I don't want to say like he's a nobody, right? But it's just the fact that he's just like this manifestation of like just this like incredibly you know ordinary individual. Like maybe he had you know some stuff that you know what maybe not necessarily that like, he was you know like a, a person of you know supreme virtue or whatever, but like. That doesn't, you know, reduce his, you know, like personal rights or dignity to live, right? And that's kind of the, the thing that's really, you know, at debate here, right? Is that like, you know, this is very much like, you know, it could be you, right? Like, you know, I don't, I mean, yeah. like it's, it's like a second degree murder charge because, like, I don't think the guy, like, you know, who killed him, you know, planned on, you know, like, he, I don't think he like left his apartment that day or whatever, thinking like, I really want to kill a dude on the subway. Um, but, you know, like, we have these people, like, just kind of, like, spur... I mean, like, it's arguably more problematic. People spur the moment are just like, wow, like, this guy's annoying me. I'm just gonna, like, murder him. Like, that's, like, you know, like, we're, we've really kind of failed as a society if this is, like, the go-to response. 
one hundred percent. I think like that's that's really the point here, right? Is like why defend Jordan Neely? Why why why? It's like it's the fact that this was just a person like you, who yeah. whose only crime was slipping through the cracks, like anyone randomly could. And it's like again, if you think you're immune to it, I'm sorry, we don't have a fucking social safety net anymore. Anyone could fall through the cracks. And the threat of homelessness is how they keep everyone else in line. I I don't know how else to say it, right? And the fact that when you fall through the cracks, not only are you deprived of not even like you're deprived of your basic needs, mm-hmm. you're also deprived of fundamental dignity at that point. And like I'm sorry if you had to deal with a homeless person who's lost their mind, but think about what losing your dignity that long will do to somebody. Yeah. It doesn't mean that everyone's a martyr or an innocent person. You don't have right? to be homeless, right? I mean, like, there's people, I mean, like, it, I mean, just with, you know, the nature of, like, just the stress of the modern society, like, yeah, people might just go on, like, you know, start yelling and whatnot. I mean, that doesn't give you, that doesn't, like, give you an open license to just, you know, slaughter them. Um, and that's like kind of the thing here, right? It's, it's like there's a, a pretty dangerous precedent, you know, maybe th- that could be set legally, uh, but also, you know, could be, you know, just that kind of just exists culturally now. If we're going to defend this stuff, uh, that like it's it's totally fine to you know just slaughter someone for whatever you know inconvenience they've provided you. Yeah, yeah, and there's this increased understanding of. You know, people talk a lot about trauma and adverse experiences and how, you know, these lead to dysfunctional behaviors. Everyone seems to understand that on paper, but can't seem to remember that when it happens in practice. I I don't know where that kind of bass-ackwards thinking evolved from, but I don't know. People got to wise up. People really have to wise up. You, you People are getting finessed into the most misanthropic forms of thinking every fucking yeah. day and it's it's yeah. it's getting foolish i don't know 100% not to get dour but like you know i don't necessarily think it's doom and gloom to talk about all of this i think this is an exercise in maintaining sanity well, and I think too, like you know, it's there's you know sort of this idea that you know, like I mean, I don't, I don't think we've like totally thrown out, you know, the, you know, just the possibility that we could, you know, things could improve, right? It's that, like, I, but I think that you know, this is like identifying, you know, these key problems um, to work on as a society is important. You know, other before we, you know, succumb to apocalyptic doom and gloom. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I think, like again, it's like the t- the hard conversations are the ones we need to be having. Yeah. In fact, it, like you know, like succumbing to the kind of death drive is like the lazy way out. It is the coward's way out. And I, I, I hate to break it to people, but like you, you share the planet with people. You are not the only fucking person on the planet. You are sh- you ha- you have to live with p- other people. There's no way around it. Man, that's some shitty news. That's a, that's some shit fucking news. I'm sorry you have to hear it, but like you got you that that is a sign of maturity. A sign of maturity is learning that you gotta you have to coexist with people. And in fact, cooperation is a good thing. In fact, getting to know other people is a good thing. Helping people is a good thing. There's nothing wrong with it, but. 
that's that's who we're up against. Saying saying something like that is controversial in our society. And yeah, you know what? I'm the apostate. I'm happy to say it. <laughs> so we we covered a lot of ground today. I think we've started our Democalypse 2024 coverage in earnest today. Um, is there anything else we should probably discuss before we start wrapping this thing up? We've been at it for like two and a half hours, I'd say. Yeah, I think we've I think we've cut we uh we did a pretty good job covering everything. I think pretty succinctly too. I mean considering you know, it was a long episode, but I think, you know, we've I think we gave everything the uh the level of uh conversation that I think it uh it warrants at this time. I mean, expect more democalypse as time proceeds. Uh hopefully not an apocalypse, but just, you know, more democalypse. For sure. And and again again, think about it. The, le- the the more time that passes between episodes, the longer we have an episode we have to make for you. It pans out. Yeah, we'll make you try to work on that. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's the summer now, so like I really don't have an excuse for like slow uploads. But yeah, you fair know, enough. We'll, 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 we're working on it. We want to make meaningful content just as much as we want to make consistent content. Plus, I, I gave everybody four episodes. They got to chill. Yeah, you've been, you've been busy. <laughs> Yeah, so we'll be back again soon. Don't don't wait up. But this has been another production of Greenhouse Gaslighting. Uh, Josh, do you want to plug Monster Pop before we close this thing out? Uh, sure. Um, if you want some, uh, well, generally less political content, but uh, occasionally it seeps through. Um, Monster Pop podcast. Um, it's like I'm on it. You can follow it on anywhere that you can listen to podcasts on Twitter. Uh, wherever um, we mostly cover pro wrestling, but we also do um, some other stuff here and there. But uh, check us out if you're interested. Check them out. Give them five stars on Apple Podcasts. I don't know what the fuck it does, but it helps people with the algorithm. If you were going to give Greenhouse Gaslighting a five star rating, give it to Monster Pop instead. But you just give it uh, to both. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't give cost it to both. it's free. It's free. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a free act. <laughs> Um, this has been another episode of Greenhouse Gaslighting I'll have the links to all our social media in the description below uh, till next time we'll see you later take care folks